Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. See, that's how you, you have to have a musical opening. It's very important. If you Surreal. Want Greg and I started out probably within like a week of each other. Yeah. Right? Yep. Back in Boston, the old Boston Stitches uh, comedy community, you know, and... Uh, Dude, we, you and I have gone through some fucking... We went to some crazy gigs in the beginning, man. We, we went through, together, we went through like the darkest time for stand-ups. Uh, well... The, the early days. Yeah, we went through our personal darkest days, yeah, but yeah. at the lightest time in comedy. The best we time ever. We caught the wave. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we were... I see young yeah. comics today, and my heart breaks, because they got to scrounge up stage time. You and I, you know, I would say, what, less than a year into doing stand-up, we were driving out and making 50 bucks cash yeah. five, six nights a week. It was For me, it was exactly one year. I first got paid by Norm Lafoe to open up for um, Warren McDonald. Peking Garden? I don't know where it was. It was yeah. some bar. I was on a, like an Apple box, like literally, like standing <laughs> on an Apple box doing comedy. You can't fucking move. And, uh, you know, I had, I had a good time. And then the next time I lurked for Lenny Clark. Those are two wow. times in a row. I got super lucky. Norm Lafoe. Like got me a couple well, you of shot gigs. up, you motherfucker, man. It was like all of us were like, there was this ascension. You would go, you'd, you'd wait in line to get a, a spot on on Comedy Hell, open mic night, Stitches Comedy Club. George McDonald would go, welcome to Comedy Hell, where the jokes always die. The comedian, it, it was this whole thing, and and we ran out of booze. Comedy Hell, where you can fly fly as high as the lights on Broadway, or crash and burn in the fiery pit known only as Comedy Hell. And that was step one, and then yeah. you would, and then you would get like a guest spot on a real show, and then you would start to get these like you know twenty five to fifty dollar MC spots where you were driving the headliner somewhere, and you jump past all that shit because they would send you out to feature, and the headliners couldn't follow you because you were out of your fucking mind. <laughs> I mean, you were nuts, and uh, and so they had to headline you. So you started working like the D rooms, but yeah. headlining them. So you started to get an hour together. Super fast. Yeah, I had to. I had to sink or swim. There's times when uh, <laughs> Greg and I would make agreements to steal each other's shit if we were bombing. <laughs> you remember that? We'd <laughs> say, dude, you got my whole act. If you're eating dick up there, feel free to just... And he would come back, dude, that blowjob joke killed. <laughs> if you're going back to Peabody, you might want to wait on it for a couple weeks. Yeah, you may want to let, let the heat let the heat die out of that joke. It was fun for us because we knew yeah. we, we neither one of us should. There was a, a point in time where both of us were doing like middling gigs, and we really didn't have the time. We really yeah. didn't have a real solid half hour. So it's sometimes you just it, when you when we're when you're a young comic and you slip in the beginning of your set, like the odds of you pulling yourself out of the fire. Yeah. Are, oh, yeah. I remember one time I was having a good set and I knocked over a drink and I didn't oh. address it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. The audience turned on me. They yeah. didn't know I was. They f smelled blood. Yep. They knew I was scared. They knew I was. I was killing. It's Everything all was about going their. Great. It's all about their uncomfort and yeah. you denying. I remember being on. This was probably the cruelest thing anybody ever did to me when I was on stage. It was like you know half filled room back. It was always like the back of a Chinese restaurant where they had a banquet room. Yeah. That they just put a microphone up in and call it a comedy night, and. I'm up there tanking it, and I'm not acknowledging that I'm tanking it. And during one of the silences that should have had laughter in it after one of my jokes, I heard this middle-aged woman whisper to her husband. I could hear her whisper, she, and she just goes, the poor bastard. 
<laughs> Worse than any heckle. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It is, yeah. you know, it would, it would be real hard when we'd watch each other. You know, you watch a friend eat dick in the beginning, too, because you know how devastating it yeah. is. Yeah. You know, there's some times where you know this guy is not going to pull himself out of this, and he has 15 more minutes to go. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Just, Watch him slosh through it up there. Is there a way out of it? Do you, what do you have to do? Like, do you just have to like have more stop, or do you just? Well, we would just make steal fun each other's material. That's where we'd come yeah, in. Yeah, that's where we'd steal. Like, I mean, a, a I great knew joke. I knew that there were grenades that I had in my waistband that were Joe's yeah. bits. That they were just <laughs> take the fucking top off and lob it, and you're back in the game. Yeah, it's like we would help each other. Yeah, you know? <laughs> fucking, well, there was a, a time where I was headlining where I had no fucking business headlining. There was no way. I barely had 40 minutes, and I, they were letting me headline these rooms, and I would have to stretch it all out. And if something went wrong, man, it went wrong hard. Yeah. That's, there's no better motivation to creating new material than when you just those shows happen, and you just fucking have to get to work. Like, you need more weapons, man. You yeah. run out of weapons too quick. You're up there dying. Well, especially, like, you can do the hour when it's going well. You can take that one bit and you can stretch it out, add shit to it. You're, yeah. you're, you're doing improvisational jazz and that hour fills yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. when they're not laughing, all of a sudden it's like concentrate. Everything yeah. shrinks down. Mm -hmm. And now what you had as 35 minutes, you just ripped through in 17. Yeah. And now you're scared, so you're tense. <laughs> and then you got nowhere to go except the crowd. So you start fucking with the crowd. They don't like you now. They're not that they don't like you. You're not making them comfortable. Right. So there's not like a, yeah. a nice flow of energy. Yeah. And so, yeah, the You're only... You're uncomfortable. Yeah. You can feel it. And the thing about Boston is, and I think it was kind of unique to a lot of uh, com other comedy cities, is it, it is a punchline town. It's bam, 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 bam. You know, they don't want to see something esoteric. They don't want to see a storyteller. They want you to grab them and just smack them around and then walk off stage yeah. with your hands in the air. Well, there, there were guys that were doing it that were so good at Ugh, it. The best. Yeah. We came up in an era where, you know, we've, I've talked about this a hundred times on the podcast and people always go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know there were really good comedians back then. I don't think people even understand what a what a it was like a utopia. Yeah. Boston was like this stand-up comedy utopia. There was at one point in time there was five clubs in a tiny little area. Seven night a week clubs. Yeah. Yep. Remember there was I mean, just that one block of Warrenton. Warrenton. There was Nick's Comedy Stop, and then there was Duck Soup, and then there was a Comedy Connection, and then Mike Mike Clark had the Comedy Club and the Charles Playhouse above the Comedy Connection. And then on the weekends, you cut over to Dick Darty's Comedy Vault, right about over there. fifty yards away. Yeah, craziness. Yeah. And then you get in your car and you drive down the Stitches on Com Ave. It's like holy shit. Well, and the best part really was, um, and those were for short sets. You're doing yeah. five, seven minutes. Those were the big clubs. Those were the big ones. But then you and I would get, and this is the thing people don't get today is that we would get it for a year we get in either you get in my car or i get in yours we drive to providence one night for a 15 20 minute set for free all the then, time then we go to hartford one night then we go to worcester one night then we go to maine one night yep. we would go anywhere they'd give us especially a longer set yeah and then you know we were lucky enough to come up in a time where the word comedy in front of a place drew a crowd yeah. you didn't need to have a big name they just we're comedy crazy, and we just yeah. happened to be dropped in the middle of it in a city that was a closed system. They didn't have headliners come in from out of town. Yeah. So the local, there were four or five big local headliners that drew, and the, and, the, and the clubs, otherwise, they only booked based on, do you crush? Are you funny? Are you original? So it was a meritocracy. Yeah, and no one ever thought they were going to get famous. 
They're what? Career? If someone used the word career, people would have looked at them confused <laughs> like, what are you talking about? All anyone wanted to do was become a big Boston comic. Yeah. It's like the fame that you wanted was just the, uh, the being accepted amongst your peers and having crowds come to see you. That's it. That's Even what the crowds expected. come to see you, I think, wasn't until later. I think for yeah. us, it was just, I can't fuck. It's like, you know, when you're first fucking a girl and you can't believe she's letting you fuck her after right. jerking off for three straight years. That's what it was like when I was doing stand up in Boston. They're allowing me these stages that I've watched since I was a teenager in awe all of a sudden I'm on it and they're letting me talk that was it yeah it's all I needed you know one of the first guys I ever saw do a live set was Tom Cotter yeah Tom Cotter was one of the first guys yeah. he's our, our buddy um, from Boston he's a, a great guy and uh, he was in like some sort of uh, the first time I ever went some sort of an open mic night and, uh, and, and he was like the first guy that ever went on stage I remember that I swear to God, same thing. He was like a not. He had started maybe two years ahead of us. That guy always used to bum me out, and the reason why he used to bum me out because he was so fucking funny to hang out with. But he wanted to take it down a notch, and he wanted to like, oh, maybe maybe I shouldn't go so dirty. Maybe I should. And you wanted to go, dude. That's you when you're at your best. You're a pervert. You're, Being twisted, you're a crazy, and dark. twisted. Pervert. He is. And he is like, one of the twisted, most twisted dudes. And I don't want to, I'd rather have him on, we should have him on and do it together because his stories, the shit that he would do, I, I can't, was, I can't say it on the air. And the I can say guy. anything on the air, <laughs> but the shit Tom Cotter did. It was one of the first guys I know that would walk around with his balls hanging out of his pants. Yeah. One of the first guys. Like, no one was doing that back when we were 20. You know, we were like 21 or whatever the hell we were. And Tom Carter's rocking around with his balls hanging out of his pants. We're like, Jesus, man. Yeah, it'd be a Christmas party. Yeah. And all the comics are there. And he, and he would have hands on his hips, too. It wasn't yeah. like he was hiding. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, I remember <laughs> at one point we were at somebody's house. <laughs> and there was a dog. It was uh, Oliver's dog. And it was, uh, he had rescued one of those uh, greyhounds. I think Tom was putting a, a dill pickle up its ass in the middle of the party. Like, we were both beyond children. We were like fucking, we were like a collection of bad kids. Yeah. It was the fu part of the fun of having a guy like Tom Cotter, too, is because you knew that he would, like, do something like that. You yeah. knew he would one-up things. Yeah. You knew if there was a bunch of comics hanging around, Cotter would find a way to make something fucked up. Yeah. But I, I, felt, I always felt like he kind of pulled back on stage, though. You know, well, he yeah, he um, in terms of practical jokes and like, like guys like uh, Kevin Knox, may he rest in peace, was one of those guys just so fucking funny off stage. Yeah. Yeah. And so me, Cotter and Noxie are working at a place in Maine called the Laughing Lobster, which started to have slow business and suddenly burnt down in the middle of a wet summer. <laughs> and so we're up there and we're staying. There's a condo complex that we're staying in, which was pretty upscale. And they got a pool, and there was all these hot fucking chicks from Montreal that come down to that part of, of, of yeah, Maine. Yeah. So we go, we're going to go down to the pool, and I don't have my bathing suit. And they're like, fuck it. You got boxer shorts. Just wear your boxer shorts down. So they head down, and I walk down to the pool. I open the gate, and I walk in, and it's packed, and they're on the far end of the pool. And I make it about halfway down the pool, and they both stand up and start screaming, Greg, what are you doing in your underwear? And the whole fucking pool starts laughing at me. I turn around, red-faced, and ran back to the condo. <laughs> 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 set me up the whole time 
It is a funny thing, though. There's a, there's a fucking distinction between, you know, a pair of shorts and boxer shorts. It's just the thickness of the cloth at that point. Well, it's the same thing of, like, you see women in bikinis on the beach all the time. That's and, and it's fine. But you see them in underwear, you lose your shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. saw, you know, Natasha Leggero? Yes. She was on my podcast last week, and she asked me to do, she does a, a show at Largo, which is like, you know, one of those hipster Natasha joints. and friends. And so, uh, so she brings me on. Uh, she's about to bring me on. She goes, I gotta, just got to change outfits. She was putting on some kind of costume for this bit. So she goes in the next room, but there's mirrors everywhere, and I can see her, and she gets down to a thong and, like, those little things oh, that hold shit. your tits up underneath. You just sat there and watched? <laughs> no, I swear to God. I, I was going over my notes, and it was like, bing, 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 off the mirrors, and I got a complete shot, and... Just, just start stroking. Beautiful, beautiful body. She's taking a photo. And I, and I stroking it. Can you imagine? Get a lock of her hair. Like you were just grabbing your own balls and just. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Real weird. And only working the head. Like, hey, a lot Joe. of like twisty shit on the head. Go overhand doing, on like, it. A lot of weird twisty shit on the head. Yeah. And spitting on it. Yeah. And then oh, and so then bitch. so then she brings me on. And of course, I have to say it in front right. of the theater. I just saw her in her underwear and I can't really speak. And so she <laughs> came on my show. And I was just like, yeah, it's weird. I mean, if it had been a bathing suit, it wouldn't have struck me. But yeah. seeing somebody, especially my favorite thing is strip clubs do nothing for me. But if I happen to see a woman naked through a window in an apartment, it, the, nudity doesn't get better than that. It has to be found right. like voyeur nudity. Yeah. Brian, don't you have the same thing with like you like watching amateur porn? Yeah, I can't even do regular porn because I know there's like five cameramen in there. I'd rather have like like stolen laptop porn, you know, where it's or like ex-boyfriend getting revenge by sending out photos and videos of like his yeah. ex-girlfriend. And that's what I need. I need realistic. Same reason why I can't watch like a, a TV show with a laugh track. I feel like it's fake. You know, like of course. It well, is have you seen the new my new favorite porn, which is the, the casting couch stuff? Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, casting couches. But you can't even believe that. You can't. That's <laughs> well, all it's faked. Not, it's no, awful. it's not. That is not fake. Don't because say it. Here, don't, the, uh, don't say it to Greg. There's it's two moments fake. I look for. All right. One is the hello when they come in. I want to see if there's a because look, I studied acting and we spent fucking six months on answering a door in a scene and how you react to not knowing what's on the other side of the door, opening it, and then is it real? I look for that, okay. and then the moment that it goes from I'm here to do like a you know a topless you know photo shoot to he says I want you to suck my dick. It's always you know you'll make a thousand to five thousand dollars a day. I'm the producer. I make the tape. I send it to the buyers. You know it goes through me. We want to see if you can follow direction. And the girl's on. She's online. She wants a job. She hears the money. All of a sudden the fucking morality goes way down. And then the moment always builds to where he goes. Now I want you to suck my dick. And you see them go fucking vacant. You see their eyes just go like, what? And I'm telling you. And you know what, though? It's real. They have to have sex tests before, like STD tests before. They have to have paperwork. They have to have a location shoot uh, given by the city to have a permit to yeah. shoot in this it's house. It's in Arizona. Yeah, but they still have to have tests. Nope. It's no I, tests in my, Arizona? My friend, my friend is the head of, uh, in the health department of, uh, of California. He's the, he's the head of STDs, and they've been fighting. You know, they had a big breakthrough last week where they have to wear condoms in, in L.A. County now. Right. How can you call that a breakthrough? Because it's a workplace. People should not die of AIDS in a workplace that's legal. And it's, it's more right. realistic that they're wearing condoms. That's what I you should be they can still <laughs> They're allowed to take it off and still do the bukkake shot to the face. They can freestyle uh, well, that. That doesn't give you AIDS, right? No. I don't think so. Would you take AIDS-ridden loads on your face? Um, it depends on the, if the guy was white or black. <laughs> 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 I 
there's a couple of uh, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of things you've okayed before the white black thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Put your money where your mouth is. You yeah, know? it seems. I mean, look, I, I absolutely agree with testing and all that stuff, but I don't want to watch porn unless they're not wearing a condom. Sorry. I, here's Sounds thing. gross. Maybe I'm disgusting. If they're going to do a test for me to feel good about porn, I want to know that her parents are no longer living. <sighs> I don't want to know that there's I a dad. I don't want to. I don't want to know the that la- there's a dad out there that might see this. Someday. Well, the last thing I want to know is that she's doing it because she didn't have the love of her parents, and if her parents are dead, that's the first thing I'm going to think of, and then it's a boner killer right there, son. Yeah, but do you want to be thinking that <laughs> while you're jerking off, her dad's jerking off, finds the clip? Can you imagine jerking Ooh. off and then your daughter pops up? That would be. Is that a suicide moment? Oh, there was a. What was the? Because you've already name? got the erection. There, oh, huh. It's not like Christ. you stumbled on it flaccid. Right. So you're you rock hard, hard. You change clips as we do. And then. And, and then it pops up. Your daughter naked, having sex. You've got an erection. Your dick's probably in your hand. Suicide moment? Ooh. No. No, you just stop beating off. <laughs> Why would you do that? Go, let's, let me just Wait, stop how old is his right daughter here. supposed to be? Like, you, know, that's, you, know, you know, like, do you go, listen, I just learned some disturbing news, and as soon as I get rid of this load, I am going to address the situation. <laughs> you got to prioritize. Jump right back on yeah. it. You go, look, this doesn't have to stop. This is this boner that's been achieved. Yep. A boner that's been achieved should be released. So you're saying open a new window, minimize that one. Don't tease your dick. Come back to it. Your dick doesn't, just because you, you know, your dick didn't make the mistake. Yeah, no. Your daughter made the mistake. Sure. Give give your dick its medicine. Interesting. (laughs) Your dick is really uh, more important than your daughter. Could you imagine if you just kept going, like, God damn it, I'm going to yell at her. (laughs) I am going to yell at you. It accentuates your (laughs) orgasm because now you get to be mad at somebody. What if you came and it was your best orgasm ever and you realize, and it's the kind of nirvana that if you can't get back to it, you don't know what you'll do. Chasing the dragon. You got to keep chasing that dragon. (laughs) And that dragon's your daughter. Dragon. What would you do? watching your daughter shot, but you can only be shocked by it once. Unless you just became a freak and you were into watching your daughter get fucked. That's like those 70s porn (laughs) movies. It was always like the preacher dad and his daughter. They used to go fucking deep on those seven. Like, do you watch Dave's old porn at all on Showtime? David Tell's show? No, I haven't seen it. It's him watching classic old porn with the actors from it. And I I watched one of them and it was like, it was a preacher dad and he ends up, you know, hitting on his daughter and seducing her and then they fuck. And that's what a lot of those movies were. They were really Oedipal and there was a lot of like rapey stuff. and (laughs) Rapey? Yeah. (laughs) Rapey. Not full on rape. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how times have changed when it comes to like treating women. Like there was uh, something uh, I was watching uh, that uh, J. Edgar Hoover show, the the, uh, the movie. movie rather with uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Pretty good movie, but one of the most interesting aspects of it is how the G man before the G man became like the symbol that everybody wanted to achieve. You know, everybody wanted to be a G man. All these young kids growing up. Before it was like James Cagney playing like these gangsters. White heat. And he would always, like, smush something in the girl's face yeah. or slap her in the face. Yeah. And, like, hey, hey, guys would be laughing. And I was like, yeah, like, look at all the violence that they uh, would do to women. I know. They would, like, regular – women would say something crazy and they would smack right across <laughs> the face. To the moon. And everybody was cool with it. It's like they were the men that were taking control of the situation. Like, she needed a smack right there. Yeah, she had something, like, you were helping her. Yeah. She was. She had lost it and yeah. you were helping her get back. Like I remember the, the Quiet Man with John Wayne. Remember there was like his wife 
was uh, his uh, the brother was supposed to give him a dowry and he didn't, and he fucking drags her through the fields by her hair, slapping her, and the crowd, the town's cheering, and you're what? And it's like a feel good movie, yeah. and you're like happy that he's finally standing up to his wife and fucking abusing Jesus her. Christ! <laughs> Do you remember High Plains Drifter when he rapes the chick in a barn? Like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Clint yeah. Eastwood raped a chick in a barn. And it's like the way he treated her, it's like, yeah, that's what guys used to do. Yeah. They would hold a girl down, pull her pants down, and just fuck her if they yeah. could get away with it, if no one was around. That is what they would do. You know what occurred to me the other day? Are we the only species that doesn't just... Is, rape? Is, yeah, I mean, is there is there sex between any other animals that's consensual? Or yeah. is it always yeah, there rape? is. There's one yes. animal, and I can't remember what it is right now. Sure. It's, uh, of course there is. Yeah, weird, like women the want to get fucked. I mean, they do in our society, too. They just don't want to get fucked by all the men. Hence the problem. The problem is that there's judgment. The problem is that it's not that, that people on this side who want to fuck can't find people on that side willing to fuck. That's not what it is. It's just there's a lot of judgment going on. Yeah. People are deciding, no, I don't like you. No, I don't want you. They want some dick. They just don't want your dick. And that gets people angry. Hence the rapey. Wow. So it's sociological. Uh -huh. It's not biological. It's, there's, there's biological and sociological. But if it was purely, purely biological, it could all be cured with masturbation. There's a, a sociological aspect to it that women are not attracted to you and you get angry. Mm. And you want to force yourself on them because it's what you want. You want them to want you to fuck them. Yeah. They don't want to fuck you. You're gross. You're gross to them. So Me for specifically? Reason, no, not you. Oh. It's whoever we were talking about. Okay. It's a rapist. You're not a rapist. Correct? No, no, no. So I think, you know, it's, it, it's more psychological, I think, and sociological than it even is physiological. Unless you have, know. That's you're a, raping that and you have the no whole, arms. Like, yeah, well, that's not rape. If you're, like, holding a girl down with your stubs and you're fucking her. Oh, you're, oh you don't yeah. have arms. Yeah, you can't masturbate. <laughs> so this is the only reason you're just like, look, this is, I don't want to rape anybody, but I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. <laughs> I got to think if you get raped by a guy with no arms... Were you really trying not to be raped? Dude, I bet you there's a lot of dudes with no arms that could rape the fuck out of you. Real strong ones, like farmhand guys, mm -hmm. just two stubs, mm -hmm. just a big guy with some yeah. thick thighs. Yeah, yeah. Guy who knows how to pin you down with his weight. Wait, does he put his dick in me or the arm? Hell yeah. Everything. Whatever. <sighs> he, the arm is just is loosening your asshole up for his cock, because that's how big his cock is. Damn! How about that? <laughs> See, it's a trick movie. You think, well, this guy's going to use his stuff. Holy shit, well, he might, he's going to ruin it for the, uh, the penis. Yeah, yeah. No. And you're not looking back. You don't know if it's the arm or the dick. You don't even care You're milking anymore. a cow. You're just loving it. Go. You're so happy that yeah. you're not in your mom's care anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love those summer outreach programs. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it is interesting, though, because uh, that was the whole you know, feminist movement was saying that rape was a crime of power mm. and not a crime of biology. But then kind of now the new thinking on it by the postmodern feminists is that, it, that that was bullshit, that no, it is men get horny and it is partially what you're saying that it is about, you know, I've been rejected and I'm more physically powerful, so I'm going to rape. But that there is also like guys that are so fucking wired for sex and something's off, and that it's it's mm. about the physical act of sex as well. It's not purely one or the other. I agree. <clears throat> There's a it's a broad spectrum. A lot of lot of reasons to rape. Yeah, you know, it's a it's just one more bullying, one more example of people trying to get people to do things that they don't want to do. There's yeah. a lot of people that like to do that. There's a lot of people that like to they like to be the boss. They like to get people to do things they don't want to do. They like to yell at people. They like to, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of people that would love to be a cop just so they could yell at people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of judgment going on with human beings. You know? 
Yeah, and religion is, um, is it a manifestation of that or the cause of that? It's a manifestation, I think. I think if it wasn't a religion, somebody would make something up. I mm. think we're always looking. We're, we look so hard for someone to have the answers that it's almost impossible for someone with a big ego to not take advantage. Yeah. So some crazy dude would come along with the answers all of a sudden, and then boom, you'd have a new religion. So yeah. our longing, you know, it's like we have an amazing ability to control our environment right now. You know, with, with planes and the internet and, and phys our physical infrastructure of our cities. This is an amazing ability. But yet, we're still trying to figure out why the fuck we're here. What, what, is, why, what, what is sex and breeding? What is the purpose of keep making more people if I'm just going to die and everyone else is going to die eventually too? Like, what is our purpose here? What, what, what the fuck is this really all about? Isn't it amazing that that is really the core? Those yeah. three or four questions you just asked. Yeah. Are there is no like close second to importance in questions in life, and they're the ones you never hear talk. And about. when you when everyone brings them up, you belittle it. It's like, yeah, man, you're depressed. What are you here if for, you're man? thinking like that, you're yeah. depressed. I wouldn't want to be you, man. Yeah, I had a, a friend who was a, a, a very nice guy, but he's a Mormon, and uh, him, and his, him and his wife uh, had had dinner with me, and uh, they were asking me about higher powers. Mm. If I believed in a higher power, and I said I don't, I don't not believe. I don't like disbelieve. I, I've never been proved. It's never been proven to me, but it I mean it might be possible. And the woman actually said, "I don't think I could sleep if I thought that way. If, yeah. I, if I had those questions not answered, I go, wow. You, but what if there was no answer? What if there there really was no answer? Like it's not like you couldn't get them answered. It's like the answer doesn't exist right now. Mm. Like you you don't have access to it. So everything else is just speculation. Like at a certain point in time, we have to accept that. You have to accept the fact that there's too much evidence that people are full of shit and these stories are terrible. So how could well, you possibly I think God in most languages is interpreted as the unknowable. You know, you have to, in a sense, it puts the onus on you. I don't think that, you know, true spirituality comes out of more of that idea of like Taoism, where there is a nat there is this force of nature that is positive and flows, mm. and by humbling your ego you can become a part of that force. That's as right. close as I think, if you really boil down most Eastern thought, it comes down to that selflessness and getting into a place where the, the power, obviously something is making the flowers bloom, the sun setting at the same time, all the shit that you can count on. There's a cycle. There's a cycle, and it, and it works on a, on, a, on a micro level and a macro level. It all, it, it's all you know, consistent in a way that you go, all right, there's something. But then to say that you know what that is is mm. where the bullshit starts. Of course. You know, and to me it always starts with a, like what you're saying, like there's a volcano. People get scared and there's always one guy who's so fucking cocky that he goes, he's always got a robe. There's always a guy in a <laughs> robe. It's got, I'm going to go talk to God. He doesn't talk to you. He'll yeah. talk to me. And yeah. he just decides that, and then he, he leaves for a little while, and he comes back and goes, here's what he said. You guys should give me 10%. For, that was his first thing. And then this other shit that's going to placate all your fears and is going to make you ashamed, which will make you feel comfortable. It's just Do a pimp game. Yeah. It's always been. There's no answers. That's, that's what people need to know. But the idea that there's no God, that there is, there's absolutely no deity, absolutely there's no intelligence to the whole process, 
I don't believe that either. I don't. I've, I've, I don't see any evidence that there there isn't a very distinct mathematical progression to to everything in the universe. And I I don't know if you can say that there's not a purpose for that. I don't know if you can define if a, an intelligent form of life or consciousness or whatever the fuck it is created it, or if it's just the ethic of the universe that things always get more complicated, including intelligent life and technology and all these mm -hmm. different. It just everything will continue to get more complicated. Period. That's yeah. how the universe works. I mean, that might be it. That, well, that, if you look at it, I always say to I always say to people that are completely, you know, which is the one where you don't believe in any god at agnostic. all. Is that atheist? Oh, agnostic is Agno nothing. Well, no, agnostic is you don't know. You don't believe there is a god. You don't okay. believe there's not a god. You haven't. Been, it hasn't been proven. Atheism is a lack. The idea total of, denial just, of any god. It's a god. lack of a, a, a non-belief in a deity. A non-theism. Well, atheists, I will say to okay. So then yeah, that means that you're purely Darwinist evolution. Sort that it's of. The I survival think the, you know, but I fittest. mean, I think you can be an atheist and still be open to something fucking crazy that no one's ever considered. It just hasn't been proven yet. I don't think any atheism is absolutely atheist. Rather, is absolutely positive that when they die, the energy ceases to exist yeah. and they do not pass into another form of existence. I don't think people are saying that. Yeah. I think what they're saying is that I, I don't buy religion. I'm mm -hmm. not buying the God concept. I'm not buying the man in the sky. I'm not buying any of that. I yeah. think that's what they're saying. And then agnostics are kind of like riding the fence on that. Yeah. Like they don't want to piss people off. So they're like, well, you know, who knows? You know? Sort of an AA belief in God. <laughs> yeah, higher power. Exactly. Yeah. The, the they, 12 step Because guy. if you deny that there's any kind of. Um, uh, there was this movie that people hated that I actually really liked called Tree of Life. Did you see that? Tree of Life. What was it? It was really spacey. Um, it was a lot. There, was, there were no words for 45 minutes. Whoa. And, and the theme of it was about. It was grace versus nature. And it, it got me thinking a lot about. Um, if you're going to be a pure evolutionist and believe that science is this thing that is there in infinite possibilities, we are one possibility and that all the things that are happening right now are a result of, you know, complete freaky, uh, but yet logical science. And I say, well, if that's true and evolution is the key, why do we have handicap ramps? Why do we have welfare? Why do we have affirmative action? It wouldn't exist. You know, liberals are the ones that believe that there is no God, or right. that they, they, they downplay the God thing. And they're the ones that are constantly promoting what I would call grace, you know, kindness. Kindness doesn't exist in the animal kingdom. It's like what we were talking about with rape. You know, that, you know not raping is kindness, because you could rape, right. but you don't. That's grace. Something is in us, whether it's shame sociologically, but if you look at it more in the bigger picture of, um, I'm a liberal, and yet I am voting against my best interests. Because there's something in me, and I don't believe in, in any prescribed religion, but there's something in me in my gut that feels like Jesus did, you know? So you can't have both. You can't have evolution and completely deny that there is some kind of a spirit within our process as humans that's guiding us towards something kinder than complete survival of the fittest. Yeah, I think that's what the one thing that we are. We're an animal. But we're also the next stage of animals where we're aware of who we are and we contemplate our existence. And when you contemplate your existence and you're an intelligent life form, you should always be seeking to improve. If you're always seeking to improve, the thing that you look at is like, what has brought me the most positive results? Well, it's kindness. It's kindness. Friendship. The, the, the connection with human beings on a very positive level where you like build up like a, a trust and you, you have a warmth and friendship and you root for each other and you, you share in each other's bounty and you, you build together. 
you know that we all know inherently in our in our heads that kindness is like one of the best gifts you can bestow another human being whether it's giving them food when they don't have any or helping them out or hooking them up or doing mm. something to help them just or being around them and, and and complimenting them whatever the fuck it is we know that inherently that feels great and we know it yeah. we, we know that that's the next we have to figure out how to use our resources together so that we can be like that all the time well as a, as a person i see it because i know when i was younger I, like you, super fucking competitive. You know, just look at stand-up. I mean, you and I, I think, yeah. probably pushed ourselves as hard as we possibly could for about 10 years. Yeah. Nonstop. And, uh, and then I got to a certain age where, like, now I appreciate, like, hanging out with you today just felt so fucking great. Like, yeah, we had a good time. You know, somebody has a shared history with you yeah. that, you know, has similar visions on life and things. And that wasn't as important to me when I was like in my early 20s. All I cared about was competing, winning. I got to, you know, and yeah. creatively I enjoyed it all. But, yeah. but I think as you get older, you start to really understand what you just said, that the kindness and the connection is where it's all at. You look at all these studies on, they're doing a lot of sort of quantifiable happiness, you know, studies on what brings us happiness. It always comes to, it's never about money. Yeah, I think it's always about doing what you actually want to be doing with your life as far as like if you have an inner creative expression to get out. And there's a lot of people that always wanted to be singers and they just, for whatever reason, never pursued it. Yeah. So they just sing around their house and they always wonder what could have been if they just tried to be a singer. That's one form of, that, that could bum you out. That's one form of uh, a roadblock in your life, the, 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 the depressed feeling that you didn't try, that you didn't try to reach your potential. Mm. You didn't go after what is intriguing to you. Like we all have almost like a beacon that pulls us in a certain direction. With some people, it's nursing. With some people, it's construction and architecture. Being a parent for yeah, some people. It, for, some, for us, it was stand-up. Yeah. You know? It's really simple. Yeah. And it's like there, there's, there's a, something, the, the, the happiness that's involved in pursuing your, your inherent desires is unavoidable. I mean, it's not. It's 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 unappreciated. It's underappreciated. People think, well, all you have to do is find a career. Yes, all you have to do is find a career. But I guarantee you, there's one out there that you really, really want to do. Yeah, the key Unless it's is just like I want to be famous. Then well, you're an that's asshole. what I was gonna say. The yeah. key is that you know we're in Hollywood, and I see a lot of misdirected what you're saying. You see yeah. people that think that. Being famous is going to bring them happiness, which uh, you certainly have more experience with fame than I do. But I, I, you probably would say that it is marginally helps you be happier with giving you maybe some possibilities, but it does not deliver you happiness. Yeah, it's managed madness is what it is. Yeah. You have, you've traded the whole universe. Brian, how dare you keep that thing on? Is that the, not, the clock on the wall? I don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of it. Don't worry. Um, it's 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 a managed form of madness because the whole world has changed, and now everywhere you go, people you know will know who you are, but you won't know who they are. Mm. You know, and when you start becoming famous, it's like one out of a hundred. Mm. You know, then it becomes one out of ten, or one out of three. When you're Tom Cruise, it's everybody. Yeah. You know, I'm not everybody, but I, it's enough so that it's weird. Yeah. It's enough so that your reality shifts, and then everywhere you go. And people have their own, it, all, all, also they have predetermined perceptions of you based yeah. on your work. Yeah. You know, whether they can, or something they read that you said, or somebody who met you, and you know, oh, he was a Well, dick. and what always strikes me as kind of creepy is that they, if they recognize you, you're going to see their best side, most likely. You most know, there's likely. the freaks, but most likely yeah. they're going to say, look, I'm meeting Joe Rogan, I'm going to tell my friends about this, 
I want to have as deep of a connection as quickly as possible as I can. So you're getting all this energy focused on you yes. constantly. I just saw it when we played pool. I mean, yeah. five or six different people came up to you and wanted pictures. And the thing is, is you're not necessarily, once you get over the novelty of, hey, people recognize me, you're really giving. You're just giving people something unless, you know, unless just you being can. being nice. Yeah you, yeah, you know, you're being nice, which is, but, but for them, it's like, um, a positive little experience. I, I like that when I meet somebody, I'm going to know if they're a douche or not because uh, if they don't know me, then I'm going to see who they really are. But right. if they recognize me, right. then it's going to be, I'm not going to see this person. It's true. They yeah. may talk shit behind my back right. or whatever, but when, they, when I see them, they're going to have a little bit of an agenda to be nicer or try right. to form more of a relationship than they would have otherwise. And right. that's confusing. That really throws you off. It can. It can if you're not an analytical person. Look, the, I think the most difficult person to figure out always is our, ourselves. And I think most people, at least don't have nearly enough inner dialogue where they sit themselves down and go over all the different shit that they're thinking and doing and behave, you know, how they, and most people don't understand their own mind. And if you block shit in your life, if you, uh, it's like, like I've seen it so many times with guys that are in the closet, guys that are in the closet that are gay and they become like huge boozers yeah. and they're just blocking, oh, yeah. just blocking out this part of their brain because they're living their life in this like tortured state. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that's a that's a big issue for people. No, man. Kevin Meany, who's a dear friend of mine, uh, yeah. it was like a mentor for me coming up and stand up. And he came out of the closet. I want to say he was close to fifty yeah. with a kid, and the guy had a drinking problem. He yep. was overweight, yeah. and then he came out of the closet. He's fucking trim. He's happy. He's got new material. Wow. And I mean, I just saw this load come off. His, excuse the pun. The load come <laughs> off his shoulders and onto his face. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think but, uh, you you know yourself better when you don't have secrets and you don't have bullshit in your head when you don't have problems. What was and your when, bis- biggest secret that came out in adulthood for you? Because you changed. That's a good question. Well, you're the, somebody that let me just preface it by saying this. Okay. You're somebody who I think really significantly changed in the time I've known you, and not in a bad way. You went from being a guy you never touched marijuana, drinking nothing, yeah. and you were uh, you were hardcore. You were confrontational, and in, in an honest way, it's what made you a good comedian early, is you, you took shit straight on, and you didn't back off. And, uh, but you were always curious, and I saw the curious side of you kind of expand as you got older, and then I saw you expand your mind with, you know, different, different methods, and, and yet it's like you're still you, but people don't really change usually in life, and you, it seems like something happened to you at a certain point like you had an epiphany or something. Well, well, one thing is I got an isolation tank. And uh, the isolation tank, there's never been a, a bigger tool for me for in terms of like personal development than the tank. Because, you know, the tank is you completely alone, only with your thoughts. And there's no way to distract yourself with activities, with chronic masturbation, with fucking watching TV shows when you're flipping through channels late at night when you really should be sleeping. There's no way to distract yourself from your innermost thoughts when you're in there. There's nothing there but you. You don't even get your body in there because your body's in the warm water. It doesn't feel the water after a while. There's so much salt you're floating. So in that environment, you're forced to take um, a lot of your your ideas head on and like is this a correct thought did i do the right thing here maybe i did maybe i didn't let's examine this you know and as you look at things objectively it's like you're sort of forced to grow and in that environment the environment of the tank 
which is just another it's another form of a psychedelic experience it's a psychedelic experience that is natural you could it could be done while you're stone cold sober you just climb on in and within you know if you've done it for a while within an hour you're in a psychedelic state you're in some crazy hallucinogenic dream state so what was the truth that you over and over again. Out. Well, a lot of my anger had to do with the way I was raised. Uh, I hadn't seen my father since I was like seven years old. And I always thought that that didn't fuck with me. But then as I got older, I really, truly realized it fucked with me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't really kind of understand it until I had a few psychedelic experiences and kind of like looked at the source of, you know, a lot of angst and a lot of like uh, anger that I would have. Like, I, you know, I would be a guy who would try to be nice to everybody, but I was already on a trigger. So if something happened, you know, where someone did something rude, I would over-escalate almost immediately. I would be ready to take them to fucking full-on war. Can like, I, immediately. Can I tell a story? Which one? Well, I don't, I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but we had one kind of blowout in our life. And yes. it was, you were, I was living with your girlfriend at the time, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer from Staten yeah, Island. Yeah, don't say the, her name. Don't say no. Her. First yeah. name's okay, right? Yeah, I guess. Big hair. Very nice girl. Great chick. Yeah, great chick. Uh, this so, is, I'll, I'll tell the story of how this happened. Because, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we went to uh, some, some club. Okay, I don't want to say where, where she worked. But we, we, uh, Greg and I were there, and um, she came over to talk to us and said that she had a, a room for rent in her apartment. And uh, she needed uh, to find a roommate. And then uh, I was like, I think Greg needs uh, a roommate. And Greg's looking for a room. I was trying to get out. My friends were all drunks, and I'd quit drinking, and I needed yeah. to get the fuck out. And so uh, she walks away, and Greg was like, holy shit, I'm going to be living with her. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look how fucking hot she is. I go, dude, she's fucking hot, right? And so then uh, Wait, I called you. this is your you. girlfriend? Or no, be no, Before no. you started Before we started dating. Okay. We just met her. Okay. We had just met her. So um, then uh, I called him the next day. I go, dude, your new apartment is fucking awesome. And, <laughs> and he go, what are you talking about? I just, oh, I just fucked that girl in your new apartment. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, oh. So we had like a little thing where, where Greg kind of liked this girl first, sort of. And I fucked her. And then he was living with her. And it was, it was kind of weird. And um, there was one night where uh, she had... Uh, told me that you were talking shit about me and uh it really hurt my feelings because i couldn't believe that you did it you she had her period and uh you know we were like 21 years old whatever the fuck it was you know you say stupid shit back then it's yeah like, and um she was like miserable and uh she would have bad periods and you came <laughs> up to her and you confronted her. you go look if you're this miserable why don't you just fucking leave him you know, like, really, what are you doing here? This and is what she told you? This is what she told me. And then she told you, Greg, I'm on my period. That's why I'm miserable. And I was so upset. I was like, wow, I can't believe he did that. I mean, she was hot, you know, and you're living with her. I, I get all that. I get all that. But I couldn't believe that you said something to her, like, bad about me, you know, because in my eyes, I'm a very loyal person. And when someone's my friend, they're my friend. And I would never go to a friend's girl but it was a very complicated situation you know it's not healthy for a heterosexual guy to be living with a hot girl in John just, Ritter did with two da -da -da -da. <laughs> but let me so so anyway I go on this gig and the gig was terrible it's a fucking awful gig and it was a long drive and I did not have a good set and I was coming back and I was with her and you know she had just told me this thing that you had did and I was so fucking mad I couldn't believe it I, just, I was so fucking mad and we went and got ice cream. 
And um, I went to the bathroom and I came back and I opened my ice cream and Jennifer was eating hers and my ice cream bar had a bite taken out of it. Ben and Jerry's Peace Pop. And it was <laughs> Greg had taken the bite out of it. And so that I flipped the switch and I threw the ice cream at your face at about 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and uh, I, don't know what I, I don't know what I said. I don't remember what I said, but I remember I went into, I went into the danger zone. Yeah. Well, I wanted to bring it up because we never talked about it. Yeah, we never did. And I wanted to because, obviously, look, there's always two sides to things. Of course. Three sides in this case. Yeah. And uh, I think, number one, I was a brash, fucking wise-ass pervert, you know, with a lot of energy back then. And so, first point I would say is that with Jennifer, if I said, I can't believe I'm living with her, I think it was probably more of a comic premise than, like, a real attraction on any level. I think it was like, yeah, she was hot. But right. I wouldn't be moving in with a chick to try to get laid with her. No, I, think I didn't. That probably think more. You of were like, doing that. Yeah, I, I'm not saying. Me, but I think look. there was a residual feeling with you that, like, I had said that, and it was maybe on your mind that I'm living with her, and you know, that's a little bit fucking weird. I'm pretty open-minded, dude. She was living with another guy, the gay guy, and I would go Michael, and hang out with him yeah. all the time. Well, he was gay. Don't give it up. Don't give Michael. up his name. Damn it! So you fucked up the whole thing. So, and the other um, thing but, is, if I and if I. It's, possible i might have I, said I, that thing about wait let me just say my side of it okay it's possible who knows i might have said something about you you know and again i was a fucking loud mouth i yeah. said, talked a lot of shit i think that uh in my heart you and i were good friends we had come up and done a lot of shit together gone through a lot supported each other a lot and i think if i'd said something it's again i have no fucking idea i right. don't remember it doesn't you know it's so long ago the memories aren't real anyway they're not they're but, like it, but no that's of, why i brought it up in this in this arena because i feel like i don't know if there's humor in it but i think that there's a real moment in it where yeah. you know we, where i think it fucked me up too because first of all seeing you get that angry was like you know, scary shit. And it was <laughs> the irony of you hitting me with the Ben and Jerry's Peace Pop was also not completely lost on me. <laughs> That's awesome. And, That's I, and I felt like, you know, and, and sadly, that was right at a time when you were moving to New York. You started going down and working danger fields and all that shit. So it became kind of convenient that we just didn't see each other as much. We, we would fucking write together every day. We drive to gigs, and then all of a sudden, this kind of blowout happened, and, uh, and you just happened to be moving. And so we spent a few years of just not being in each other's spheres at all. And mm-hmm. then it was water under the bridge, and we started to you know hang out and all that stuff. But I always wanted to talk to you about it because I felt like whatever your takeaway was from that experience, that you know it was, it, if, if I did say something... It wasn't from my heart, and that I think it was a loaded situation. It was a loaded situation, and there was a few other things that. Had, Wait a minute! A few other things that were leaning into that that confrontation. That you know, it wasn't anything bad that you did. It was sort of an attitude that you had taken with me. I don't know. It was, it was weird. There was a bit. There was a resentment thing. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sensitive to it. And well, I, I think a lot of it had to do with living with the girl. Well, I, part just, of it too was that you and I grew in different directions as comics. You you were going hardcore. You were hanging out with uh, another Michael. And you were a real Kinnison guy, and I was starting to move a little bit more towards not necessarily clean and clever. Yeah, I think I was going spot. through a yeah clean and clever stage, yeah. and you gave me a really hard time about it. You could call me a pussy, and you got to fucking be real up there, and it was intimidating <laughs> because it was like, well, I'm not. Why are you telling me how to do my act? But I you would get really uh, you would get pissed at me I about just, it. It was because I loved you. I just didn't want to see you back off. You were yeah. when you were at your best. Greg Fitzsimmons would have these sets 
and uh, you would uh, you would have a bunch of really well crafted jokes. You had a, a bunch of good things, and you have one thing where you just went over the fucking edge completely. <laughs> and the comics would be howling. And I always knew I was like, if he can harness that, yeah. if he can figure out how to, I mean, you have a sick fucking sense of humor. Yeah. So when I would see you pull back, like to do a Letterman set or pull back to do like any of this stuff, I'm like, the only reason that exists is because there's someone trying to sell Toyota trucks or tie. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah. reason why censored TV exists. So this idea that it became clean and clever, I'm like, what is clever about cutting out the most fun aspects of yeah, life yeah. and homogenizing it for, so that four-year-olds can watch it? Really? Yeah. Is that what's clever? That's not clever. That's not real comedy. It's, it, and in my head back then, I was watching you and saying, well, yeah. Yeah, you're just going up there and you're just fucking throwing shit and coming their faces and you're killing and you're fucking prancing the stage in a stalk and you're fucking got your hand over the mud. And I was just like, you know, he's killing it. But like that's like I was coming out of college as an English right, major and right, I wanted right. to write, you know, and I've gone into writing. Right. So to me, it was just a different choice. Right. And it was one that you didn't respect. No, it's not that. No, it's you just said it. You that. didn't really. Well, no, no, no. I, I did not, it's not that I didn't respect the writing. It's not that I didn't respect the, the discipline of it. I know it's, it's more difficult. It's a more difficult path. It was that with you, I always knew you had a sick fucking yeah. sense of humor. So I was like, oh, it's like going back to Tom yeah, I was Cotter. Like, don't pull, yeah, don't pull away from that. Are you yeah. crazy? That's like what makes you unique. That's what makes us howl in the back of the room. Yeah, I mean, it's we're not laughing because we like you, and it's not funny. It's like you would say some really dark, fucked up shit, and then you'd, <laughs> and then you'd be like, I can never use that bit. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that bit, they won't use me now. But Boston comedy yeah, won't book me on the road because of that bit. I know. You know, there were, I think that, I think that there was a part of me that. I think in, in baseball terms, you were always the guy that was the grand slam swinger, and I was the guy that just wanted to get a lot of doubles and singles. And so, in a sense, I think everybody, my father used to say, everybody ends up where they're really comfortable, you know? And in a sense, for you, like you talked about, going on stage when you didn't have the material, but doing an hour, like balls out, I'm fucking doing, that wasn't me. That would have been my worst fucking nightmare. To me, it was like, I wanted to make a living doing this, I wanted to write. I wanted to go on Letterman. There was like right, things I right, wanted right, right. That, that were in this strategy. Not that I like thought about it, but it was just naturally where I was going. Right. And for you, it was like you wanted to fucking explode. You know, you wanted to be Kinnison. And that was just a different fucking strategy, different game plan than I had. And I think that was a big part of it, too. That was a lot of the tension underneath the fight that happened. Really? Was it, I, yeah, I really resented. Not in my mind. I, well, I did. I resented that, that I was feeling like you were not approving of what I was doing and you were oh, putting pressure hilarious. on me not to do it. That's hilarious because uh, I've always felt like that it was always the opposite with people, that the people that were dirty were, especially back then in Boston, they were the one who were pressured, pressured to clean it up. Yeah. Oliver Keithley, that's all he ever used to tell me. You got to clean it up. You got to clean it up. You said 10 fucks in 10, in 10 minutes. Yeah. You got to clean it up. Yeah. It was always like, oh, like I'm, I'm taking some sort of a shortcut by doing things that I'm actually interested in talking about. So you saying that I think that uh, that I look down on you for, for cleaning your act up or trying trying to go the professional route. It wasn't that. It was never that. It was that I didn't want you to stop doing the other stuff because yeah. the darkest shit was the shit that would make me laugh the most. And then when you're like, I can't do that bit anymore, I'm like, you're crazy. I that know. fucking bit's awesome. I know. And some of the bits I look back, I can't, I'm one of those people, I cannot watch myself. I have early tapes. And I, I go, just, like, look at these clever little fucking cute jokes I was doing. I hate I just myself. remembered something you did that was fucking brilliant. 
this was back in the day where there was like maybe it's somebody had heard the Jerky Boys, like maybe like one you know one one of the, their CDs were out, and like they were like really kind of funny recorded phone calls where they would fuck with people. Greg did one where he called in a car rental place, and you did it with <laughs> yeah, this fucking, my CD. This extreme, extreme Boston accent for years. For years after that, I'd go, "It's on fire! The car's on fire! The whole car's on fire!" <laughs> you had to. The, the, yeah, you were doing a lot of dark shit. Yeah, we used like, to. Well, the thing is, when you talk about the Boston comedy community, we really did have our own little pod. It was like me, you, Cotter, uh, Mike. I could say McDonald, McCarthy, McCarthy, McCarthy. McCarthy. There was really only a half a dozen of us that, and I felt like an outcast. I didn't, you know, there was Dave Cross and, and Marin and all those guys that were doing like that sketch esoteric stuff in Cambridge. Then you had, like we talked about the big headliners that were, you know, they had their own, they were, they were drinking. They were, they were looked at in a different way. You know, there was like guys who were looked at as like being clever with good material. And then there was guys who were like Knox. Who are like a lot of people would like they would look down on them. They would oh yeah, look down on that material, that silly party guy sort of. It a was station blue room. collar. It yeah, was much more. And and yet we didn't fit nicely into any of the categories. Yeah. And so I think we were left in like a little bit of the misfit toys syndrome. You know, I, I kind of felt like, um, you know, it wasn't about being clean or dirty. It was just more about like resenting people that were fake and like seeing people that were again. Looking yeah. like they wanted careers, right? And 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 backstabbers and all that shit. And I felt like there was like a safety among the five or six guys we hung out with that we were like real people, yeah. And that we were doing ballsy comedy, yeah. And that we were the hungriest ones out there. I mean, you went to an open mic night for those couple years. Yeah. Ours were the first fucking names on the list, yeah. And we were standing there like panthers, waiting to see if we were going to get on. Yeah, there. we're not bullshitting. We really did drive to Rhode Island all the time to do free sets all yeah. the time. Yeah, we constantly drive to the point where they would hold it over our head. I know. Or maybe you might not even be able to get it on. Remember <laughs> yeah. that dude Charlie was kind of yeah. creepy about that. Yeah, like hold it over your head. Hmm, I don't know tonight. Yeah, yeah. He was this very flamboyant guy. He does cabaret now. And does he, he really? Oh boy, did he like checking you out and making you kiss up to him? Yeah. What's his name, Tommy? Charlie, oh, Charlie. Um, should I say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fuck him. Why, why do that? I mean, he wasn't the bad guy. No. It just he shouldn't have had that power. You know, and there it, it was just a, that, that whole little comedy scene in Rhode Island was very small. It wasn't, but remember that one fucking really funny guy? This was, was his your name? favorite Eddie, guy. Eddie, Eddie uh, uh, he was your favorite. Eddie. God um, damn it. Um, Eddie. Well, Shit. tell the story. Well, which one? When well, first tell his favorite about, joke about the uh, the the um, disposable douche commercial, the mother and the daughter. <laughs> oh yeah, but a lot of people. Eddie had, Galvin. Eddie Galvin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what was it? The, he goes. The uh, be- I'm not. <laughs> he's talking about this disposable douche commercial. Yeah. It's a mother and the daughter walking down the beach together, and the daughter says to the mother, "I'm not saying my <laughs> cunt stinks, but the cats have been following me home." <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd would fucking go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. Oh. And then he ends up going to jail. He beat a guy to death with a stick. With a tree limb. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what it was over. He was the second guy to go to jail. There was another guy named Ed the Machine Regine. Yes. Who, who, was, a, who was working also as a used car salesman who set the odometers back yeah. on cars and did about five or six years. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. I remember when he got out. I remember when he got out. And he got out and he started wearing like a, a gangster suit and a hat. He would oh, come on stage. Ed yeah. the Machine Regine. Yeah. He was a good like functional comic. Functional you know? comic. 
he knew how to get the laughs. Yep. And then there was know? the other Rhode Island comic who'd put a clam suit on, and then he would close out with a bit where he'd sing um, Muddy Waters, I'm a man, but it's I'm a clam. <laughs> I forgot And the crowd would lose their shit, and then you're on next. Uh, that was, it was always about who you had to follow in Boston because oh, yeah. you'd, you'd have outrageous shit like that happen, yeah. and the crowds were, in some towns were so dumb. I mean, right. Rhode Island, they were all dumb. Yeah. And you'd have to go on after that. And, the, and it's like they just fed the fucking mongrels some red meat. Right. And now you're going up. And it's like, whoa. You were there with me on uh, one of the times where uh, Hicks performed mm. in Boston. And we saw him clear the room. Clear the room. It was you and me and McCarthy and a couple other guys. Maybe it was uh, Todd Parker. He might have been with us, It was too. like a Sunday night. Yep. And and Hicks went up there, and he went on after Larry, uh, the Harley Bubbles Davidson Brown. drive. Yeah, Larry. Oh, not Bill. Uh, Larry. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, la- comic on a Harley. Yeah, Larry Norton. Larry Norton. Larry Norton. Larry Norton. So Larry Norton goes up, and he's doing like cartoon characters. If they got high, this would be Bugs Bunny. If you got, it's like really simple shit. Cops and donuts. Yeah. You know, like like really like softballs. He's lobbing a match. Right, killing. He's killing. And Hicks goes on and just just eats dick right away from the moment his very first joke. He's like patient with his, you know, like what he's gonna say and thinking about things. He just goes uh, and some weird points, and the crowd just gets up in fucking chunks. Mm. And so maybe forty five minutes into a set, forty forty minutes into a set, he's doing this bit where he's he's playing John Davidson and John Davidson gets fucked by Satan. John <laughs> Davidson used to be the host of That's Incredible. And John Davidson is getting fucked by Satan and he swells up in the off season and shits out Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> he becomes pregnant with the demon seed and it becomes Geraldo Rivera and he shits it out and he's like on the toilet shitting out Geraldo Rivera and he's grunting for like fucking two solid minutes, maybe more. Like literally no words. No, no words. Yeah. No words. No words. And then he looks up in the middle of people just getting up in droves. He goes, "Yep, this usually clears the room." <laughs> and goes right back to it. <laughs> and it was just you and I and a couple other guys in the back of the room howling, laughing. Yeah. Maybe 50, 50 people stayed. And you know, what did next seat like? Did it seat three hundred? Maybe. Yeah, about that. Two hundred plus people got up and left. Yeah. And we were howling. And I just remember we, we sat, I, I think another time we went to see him, it was at the Faneuil Hall Comedy Connection. And we actually got to sit in the green room for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Nothing but small talk. But the fact that fucking sat in a room with that guy, got to see him yeah. perform a couple times. It really is like, uh, you know. Comedy history. Yeah. He, you know, a lot of, he gets shit from a lot of people because a lot of his ideas are so commonplace today that say, people go, well, well, he wasn't even doing comedy. Like, you know, like what, some of the stuff isn't even funny. But what they don't understand is that, like every fucking comedian, you, you, your stuff gets dated in time. You know, it just, it does. It loses its If you're its good, punch. it gets replicated yeah. again and again. Well, Lenny Bruce, a lot of, you know, even Hicks' premises were like really similar to Lenny Bruce's premises. Like one of Lenny Bruce's premises was uh, that people don't, he doesn't understand the cross. You know, years from now, people are going to be running around with electric chairs around their necks. Mm-hmm. And then Hicks had one about, you know, it's like going up to Jackie Onassis with a rifle pendant. Going, yeah. Just thinking of John, Jackie. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, there, there, there's similarities, but what, what Hicks did 
was completely changed the way people did comedy. Like all of a sudden, people would have comedy that would make you like make a point, and like it, 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 there would be parts of it that would be funny, but there would be parts of it that would set up the funny by pointing out how fucking preposterous so much of this shit is. Yeah, and it's like it was a different ride. It wasn't that Don Gavin punchline every fucking three seconds, bang, bang, bang. It was a different ride. Well, I think the turning point was really uh, the clearest distinction with him was that he didn't care. Yeah, that's what it came down For to. Real. It was comedy that, yeah. to its core. Did, it was expressing itself without yeah. any regard to the reception it was going to get from the audience. And he figured out quite early that that was the way to find your real audience. Because yeah. only perform their stuff. And eventually, everybody else leaves. Jesus, this is terrible. And then your people come. Well, I mean, Carlin did that too, in a way. Sure, but yes, but he would become famous already. Carlin had become famous as sort of a clean and, 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 and but, squeaky But guy. then he became, I think, a guy who was, by the end, to a fault, more about his core beliefs and, and, yeah. and his message. I think he, he went so far with it. But in the sweet spot, I think he was on the same level as Hicks in terms of like taking on you know religion. Sure. Don't forget Bill Hicks was doing it in Texas. You right. know? He yeah. was taking on Christianity in the in fucking the Bible Belt in the 80s. Yeah. And he was doing it in a way that like it wasn't that setup punchline. And he right. started like that. I mean, I watched this documentary. He had like really corner. He was a guy, if you want to get to the place where Bill Hicks is, you got to be, and Carlin, you have to learn the rules to break them. And they did. They were very high-functioning, clean you know, monologue comics, and then they took that and they, they made it dangerous by taking right. on real ideas. Right. And at the time, that's what everybody is, was doing. And what he had done was run into Kinnison. And then Kinnison completely changed his act. In fact, when I first saw Hicks, Hicks was doing a lot of Kinnison in his act. Much like, you, you know, you realize when a, there was a few guys that would do, um, uh, a bunch of guys that would do Boston guys. They would sound just like Knox. Oh, yeah. Sound, and they would do it just because there was confidence in sounding like a really funny guy. Yeah. Know, like a guy that you respect. There's this confidence in it. And when I first saw Hicks, it was years before that set, maybe a year, year and a half before that set. The first time I saw him, he was doing like a sort of a bit of a Kinnison mm -hmm. act. Like he would even make the noise, like we'd do like the Walking Dead. He would roll his eyes and his head, make the same noises that like yeah. Kinnison would make. And I'm like, wow, like that's really kind of close. Like, yeah, doesn't, yeah. Doesn't he know we've seen Kinnison? Well, do I this? think Bobcat probably had a touch of that. I think uh, yeah. you know Marin had a touch of Hicks when he was. Coming yeah, up. He had a touch of the mannerisms. He would re replicate mannerisms. Yeah, that's what I mean. The mannerisms. Yeah, affected I, you mannerisms. see that with a tell now. A lot of young yes, tells out there. Yes, a lot of young tells. I stand hopes. Yep, you're right. You're right. A lot of stand hopes. Yeah, there was one time I was listening to this fucking guy on, on uh, Raw Dog Radio. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is a fucking stand hope clone. I was like confused. Like, maybe stand hope had a cold. Right. Is he on sorry? No, it's a different guy. Does he sound like stand hope? No. How <laughs> funny of you. <laughs> Just any, any it's, it's your Olive Garden Super opposite. It's your Olive Garden, because he's sorry. So going back to the original topic, our fight. Glad it's over. I'm glad it's over. I too. think that we're both. Uh, well, we kind of abandoned it. I mean, I didn't really. We didn't speak that much after that for a while, but it never came up again. It wasn't like it needed to be discussed. But I'm glad we did it. Yeah, I wanted to just clear it out, clear it out, because. Uh, I was thinking today, too, I think I was telling you earlier, I changed my whole viewpoint on, on gun control two weeks ago. Yeah. I, I did a lot of research, and, I, and, and it's like, I think that there's, uh, there's two kinds of people. There's people that will, I'll call people when I make a mistake, apologize. I, I want to talk about shit if it's, if it's under the carpet, and I want, to, I want the right to change my mind later, mm -hmm. you know? And I right. think that that's, that's the way I choose to go through life. I never sure. want to fucking, and it's a it, problem with my family. Growing up Irish Catholic, I wrote this fucking book 
that was all the real shit from this was like a, I didn't I didn't think for one second when I wrote this book my mom's gonna read this my aunt's gonna read this I just fucking wrote my book and it's like you know it was a it was tough man I almost had a fucking nervous breakdown doing it uh, but that was like the point in my life where I think I went you know I'm I'm no longer going to do anything that's pandering I'm only gonna be honest I'm only gonna confront things in my life because I can't go back. You know, I want to start my life in a sense over again and leave everything behind. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anything fucking connecting me to shit that I feel bad about from the past. So I just like spit it all out and put it out there and now it's done. And now this is done. (laughs) Not the podcast. Please, not the podcast. I haven't gotten my plugs in yet. No, there's no plugs. We we can keep going. Uh, I'm glad glad we got it out of the way too. Although, uh, you know, we, we actually worked together on the man show as well, you know, and that it came up, you know, because I, I had an issue, you know, and then they said, what about Greg Fitzsimmons? And I was like, well, he's fucking talented, you know, for sure. Hire him. You know? I was shocked. Really? Not shocked. I was like, it reaffirmed what I just said. That you're like that also. Like, you know, I'm not going to guys get over shit. Well, it- you know, bottom line is uh, there's no way I could hold a grudge that long, A, and B. B, you're fucking talented. You know, it was like it was a, it was like it wasn't even a, a thing. It wasn't like like man, should we work with? It was like, of course we should work with him. Yeah. you're a funny guy. Hmm. You know, you had a f- funny shit that I didn't even think would could be funny and became funny. That the uh, the dead Ted Williams sketch. Oh, that was God. fucking brilliant. Frozen that was Ted great. Williams. Frozen Ted Williams was awesome. <laughs> that was like it turned out to be one of my favorite sketches because I don't give a fuck about baseball. So I was like, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, I don't I don't understand it, but it was great. Yeah, it was it was tough. You were fucking you were working. That was nonstop. It was a disaster. You would show up like, you know, at night when you were done taping all day and then write all night and then go back. It was a disaster. I was working way too much. I was doing Fear Factor and the man show at the same time. And we we had all of a sudden like they they had completely changed how they were approaching it. Like Doug and I got completely hoodwinked. We thought that it was going to be like they they literally told me like, you know, uh, have nudity, we'll blur it out. Swear, we'll beep it out. You can go wild. If we get sued, it would be a good thing. We could yeah. use the publicity. I'm like, let's get fucking crazy. I'm like, let's do it. Um, you know, Stan Hope's in. I'm in. Come on, let's go. We're going to fucking change the man show. And then once we started doing that doesn't sound like the man show. That's not the man show. That is not how the man show used to be. Like, they had never had power, I found out, that Jimmy and Adam had given up the power so that they could have creative control. Yeah. They didn't. They, they're like, look, you could, you could own this fucking piece of shit. Just, yeah. let's, let's don't, just leave us alone. Yeah. You know, just let us come up with our own stuff. Like, they had, they had had to give it up to get creative control. Yeah, yeah. That's why it was good. Because <laughs> uh-huh. once you get in there, and I mean, you remember what it was like. It was nuts it was the beginning of comedy central becoming a really um uncreative place to develop and do things and it was you know it was the studio and the network there were probably six all women all women every note on the man show was coming from women which isn't to say they weren't talented or funny it just always struck me of like do these people really have the voice of the show? Yeah, they don't. I don't think it. women were watching the well, man show. One of the big things was Joey Diaz. I wanted Joey Diaz Come out naked, naked at yeah, the I beginning that. of every show. Yeah, that was a mistake. He would kick open the door and go, let's get this party started. Yeah. Everybody would go crazy. Zoe was, Comedy Central executive, crying. Why, you tell me, why is that funny? That's not going to be funny. This is not what we want to do with the show. She was literally in tears. I'm like, first of all, there's no crying in comedy. Period. Right? There's no crying in comedy. That's fucking ridiculous. And second of all, 
you know, I know, I understood her point of view. She's an intelligent woman. It's offensive to her. To her, it's not funny. She wants well scripted, you know, well crafted, you know, really clever pieces and bits that appeal to I frat guys. That. However, when a fucking 350 pound fat Cuban guy with a baseball hat and Timberlands comes running out and his balls are like grapefruit and an old lady's <laughs> pantyhose and his dick is big and it's flopping around on his giant belly, you cannot not laugh when he's going, let's get this party started. So I, we made a deal. We'll do it your way and then we'll do it my way. So we did it her way. Nice big thing. Big cheer. Everybody gets crazy. We start the show. Okay, take two. We do it the second time. Joey Diaz comes out naked and the place falls apart. Mm -hmm. People are, st they're giving him standing ovations and cheering and woo! And Joey's dancing. And then he brings us out, and it was perfect. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we, that was the beginning of many, many problems that we had. It just, I should have never tried. I should have never tried to do a show at the same time as doing another show. And on top of that, I should have never tried to do someone else's show. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, look, that's a fucking tough one. You look at the fact that The Office turned out a different office that is now as good as the original is a fucking miracle. Fluke. Amazing. Fluke. It just well, it, doesn't well, happen. Not yeah, I mean talented people. Obviously, they they figured it out there. But they the did point it is, but those same people could have taken a different premise, starting from scratch, and been where they are today. Sure. Taking a taking a show that already existed, you're not getting any boost out of that. Right. You're all you're doing is fighting off the old image and trying to recreate the new one. So why not just start yeah. with the new one? I think in America, it's, it was so distant. It was a distant memory in people's minds that there was this English office. Like, there's a giant chunk of the population that yeah. had no idea. And the, the people that were fans of The Office tuned in out of curiosity, and the other people tuned in after, yeah, I've heard it's really good. I heard it's yeah. really good. It's like, you know, like it was not known enough, so it like slipped in. But the and man, you the were doing show, it on the same channel. Yeah. With the same name and the yeah. same set. Yeah, you could, and, and the thing is, it's like, that was truly, I mean, Adam and Jimmy had worked together in radio. They had a fucking chemistry and a fluidity. You and Doug were both alpha males who do stand-up alone, and then all of a sudden it was like, should we sit on stools, should we stand up? And I was always just like, no, Joe should go out and tear it up for five minutes, then Doug should. Then they should throw <laughs> the clips that they're both in. But the two of you standing on stage together was weird. was weird. Yeah, it didn't work. You know what we should have done? We should have just, we, we should have, uh, like, at, at, after the first time didn't work, we should have said, listen, we should just, re the only way we could ever do this correctly is if we just stop calling it the man show yeah. and it becomes a new thing. Yeah. Because you, you, you just can't say that's not man, like they would be like, that's not man show. That's mm -hmm. not man show. Mm -hmm. And especially remember when Janet Jackson's nipple thing happened, we got fucked. We lost like half of our monologues. We lost like a bunch of bits we couldn't do now. Oh, cause because everything it, tightened up. Everything. Yeah. People yeah. don't realize that that stupid stunt had a big impact because the dummies that run these networks, they just don't want to lose their jobs. So they go into panic mode. Yeah. We've got to react to this giant attraction yeah, thing. Yeah. You give me anything you have that could cause us trouble because now the microscope of the media is going to be, you know, people are going to be like peering into like every single show looking for anything that's, you know, possibly uh, offensive. Yeah. While this whole wave of indignation washes through the nation because someone saw a woman's tit during the dinner hour. Yeah, we did a, um, one of the sketches that I wrote was called uh, Ill Suitors and it was like a dating service for men that didn't want long-term relationships paired up with women that had terminal illnesses. Oh, I remember that. And then one of the scenes, and it was all <laughs> was like, great. you know, Doug had this funny idea of like, she's in a wheelchair on the beach trying to wheel through the sand yeah. and he's running in slow motion towards her. And it, it, it ends with like, it was supposed to end with him 
um, making out with this woman in bed with his hand up her shirt, and then it goes to him giving mouth to mouth and pushing it, and then they just they killed that. And it was like we had no ending. Yeah. And so we had all these funny ideas of like you know you could you could order like a three day weekend special of you know bird flu. You know you had different diseases that matched up <laughs> with how long you wanted to stay in the relationship. <laughs> we, had no we had no ending. We had no ending. <laughs> it was weird too because Gianna sort of took over the show and he became like the voice of it and you know he was the mouth I mean he's you know he's a fucking executive producer he's got to listen to the networks we should never tried to do somebody else's show we had a lot of funny writers too Brian Posehn Ray yeah. James Chris McGuire yeah, some funny shit too some funny shit came out of it oh Frank Sebastiano yeah he was awesome I think he's the best writer in town period he's great Jesus yeah. it was good writers yeah yeah too but, bad. Yeah. Could have well, fun. You know, you and Doug still uh, keep oh, yeah. in touch? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that came out of that was that Doug and I were doing mushrooms the day the war broke out. We, we, we uh, sat around this dude's house in the desert. We did mushrooms. And that day, it was like right when we were planning to do uh, the man show, the, the war broke out and they were, they were showing that there was going to be beginning war coverage at 5 p.m. Yeah. And Stan Up goes, holy shit, there's a kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> And we're tripping balls in the desert, like where you could barely focus on the TV because yeah. it's become a, a soup of pixels. Yeah. You know, it's not really the TV anymore. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, interesting times. That was a good time, but I, I definitely shouldn't have done it. I'm glad I did it, but I shouldn't have done it. Yeah, well, yeah. who knew? I mean, I, I've done, uh, I've been on a couple of pilots where people, and shows, actually TV shows, where people were double dipping. You know, I, I wrote on uh, Wanda Sykes' show last year, and she was doing the uh, Adventures of Old Christine, and then coming over and trying to do her show on Fox <laughs> at night, and we never saw her. Wow. And she's so fucking talented, and like, what wow. an opportunity to have a black woman while Obama is president, and you know, all these, you know, and, and you had Sarah Palin running for office. All of a sudden, the fucking floodgates were open in what politics. What kind of show was it? It was just a, a straight up monologue, remote piece, roundtable talk show, topical. Yeah, because she's so talented. She's great, you but, you got, but people don't give themselves enough. enough time to do things right. And if your name is on it, you got to fucking drop. Either don't do it or drop everything and <laughs> yep. say, like a tell, again, going back to the show, which you got to see, Dave's old porn. That guy gave up so much fucking work. He invested so much of his own money, tons of it, into this show because his name is on And it's picked up, and his road work is up, and his merch is, and, you know, it's like, this is you. This is your fucking brand. Yeah. Hmm. So you blew it, man. Wow. You really blew it. Me? Yeah, you really <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> How did it come to that? Well, you think you would want to do a show like that again? Like a weekly sketch? No. No? No. I like this. This is really what I should have been doing all along. This is the most fun. Podcast. It's just, this is, uh, you know, I mean, what, what, are you, what are you providing, you know, when you, you have an, an hour television show? You're, you're supposed to be providing entertainment. You're supposed to be providing some sort of a release. I think I'm better at entertainment doing this than I am at all that other stuff. Yeah. I think writing, I can write. I know how to make sketches. I can make funny stuff. I absolutely can. It's fun. I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy this more. And I, between this and stand-up comedy, those are like my two favorite things. Like the only reason why I ever did acting is because they gave me money to do acting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had to do acting because I did MTV and I got a development deal. And all of a sudden, I'm you know, doing a, a, a pilot for a sitcom. But 
I never really wanted to be an actor. Mm. It's, it's, it's not that appealing to me. And then when you hang out with them, you realize, well, they're fucking weirdos, man. Yeah. Weird, fucking pretentious, self-absorbed, uh. strange fucking people, man. Uh. They're odd. Nobody's saying a truthful thing all day. Oh, everyone's trying to be this this same person, the, the person that like is everyone that everyone accepts. You know, the person that you know everyone everyone's liberal. Everyone is like you know thinking about going vegan. You know, everyone is and everyone's unflappable. Yeah. Nobody's ever sweating. Nobody's ever scared. It's just always you got to be confident. You got to always show people you're relaxed and confident. And weird, weird and disconnected and yeah. obsessed with your fucking life. I've I've met people that are obsessed with success, but they're varied. There's there's a there's a fucking sameness to the actor, the douche. There's a sameness to them that's shocking because it doesn't it doesn't seem to exist in other things in people that there's like people that develop like a hardness if like they're in, they're in the financial business you know there's like a, a cutthroat aspect to like you know stocks and bonds yeah. and treasuries and there's a, there's there's like similarities but they're very more yeah the actor is like one thing. You know, it's like strip club DJ. Hey, everybody, dance yeah. is on the table. The big girl's coming. They all have the same voice. Strip, yep. strip club DJs have the same voice, and actors have the same Well, when you audition for something, I was thinking about this the other day. It's not all when you go in, But when you Mass go in on an audition, there are so many. It's like watching the fucking Westminster Dog Show. You walk in, you sign in, yeah. you schmooze with the other actors, <laughs> you look at your lines. Then when you walk in, you got to say something clever. And you, you, a mild flirtation with the casting director. Then you say something that's a little bit naughty. And then you start the scene. And yeah. then you finish it. And they tell you you're fucking great. And you tell them <laughs> it's great to see. And you walk out like you don't need the job. And then you get in your car in the parking garage. And you start slamming your forehead against the steering wheel and hating yourself. And then waiting for the call. Yeah, I only got into acting for money, you know, and I don't, I, that's not what I started doing stand-up for, and once I realized that I can make a living without acting, you know, I, I kind of shied away from it. I didn't act at all for like 10 years until I did uh, Kevin James' movie, the Zookeeper movie. Yeah. I hadn't done anything in like mm -hmm. 10 years. I'd just done stand-up. And acting's work. That's a job. Stand-up mm -hmm. is not a job. Even when the, the hard part, coming up with new material and putting together a new hour and, you know, it's trying to structure it and, you know, and worrying, you know, how are you going to fill time? How are you going to start? Don't, don't forget anything. I don't want to go up in notes, though. Fuck. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. That's still, that, that kind of work is nothing compared to the work of doing somebody else's stuff. Yeah, because in stand-up, you get back exactly yeah. what you put into it. And yeah. I find sometimes I go on the road. And I'll be like, wow, I just worked two weekends in a row. I don't have a single new joke. What the fuck? Did, did I just go collect a paycheck? Because if I did, I need to get another line of work. Because right. yeah. it's, I, I got kids at home. That's too precious. If yeah. I'm going to be away, I got to be creating. I got to be doing the thing that got me into the business in the first place. Yeah. And that's what ultimately leads to more success is you got to go back to that fun that danger mm, that yeah, need you yeah. gotta you gotta need it when you get yep. out there you know yeah, we were talking the other day prepare. about guys who get old that, that lose their funny because mm -hmm. they get too too rich too comfortable they don't need it when they get up there. well we were talking we were playing pool about bands that just no one even wants to hear any of their new shit yeah but then other bands every time there's a new you know blank album you know people are interested like the rolling stones released an album recently did, mm. you, did you know that was it a re-release of know. old stuff I don't know. Somebody told me that the rolling. I should be. I should be sure before I say that. But well, Springsteen's got a new one, and I can't wait to get it. I heard that it's good. People have been saying that it's good. I think, and I feel the same way about the Chili Peppers. I still, and some people, a lot of people disagree. I think that they're putting out their best stuff now. You know, and uh, that Californication is a great, great fucking song. Man. Yeah, that's a great song. That was. Uh, remember Brian when we were in Phoenix? That was like the theme song for Phoenix. It would just come out. It was so good. We we're like, play it again. Play that yeah. shit again. 
Yeah, they got another new album that came out about six months ago that's Dynamite. Subcategories. It doesn't have it. I'm looking at their albums. It has Coming up next, we got the Chili Peppers at you, followed by the Stones' new CD. Yeah, Corbett on stage. How many guys get to do that voice? There's a lot of guys that make a living doing that voice. My dad was one. Really? Well, he was a he was a well he was a broadcaster. He's do, he did exactly what we're doing right now, except he introduced records. He wasn't a cheese ball, but he was one of the biggest disc jockeys in New York for 20 years. Wow. He so was, you he was, grew up with that? Yeah, I grew up going in and uh, in the watching shadow him. of show business. You grew up like looking at it. Yeah, he was famous in New York. I mean, wow. we couldn't walk down the street. Everybody, Fitzy, hey Fitz, you know, oh, wow. and yeah, it was pretty cool. What and kind of talk radio did he do? He did real liberal spewing hate callers. You know, people that fuck couldn't stand him, and he'd take him on. And he was wow. a tough guy from the Bronx, and he could back it up. Smart guy. You remember that? That was like the only time audience members could interact before Twitter. You know, well, now people get fucking shit on you, but people used to be able no. to catch you on the phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just want to say I think you're a fucking bum. Yeah. They'd be able to call you up like, oh, we're going to go to the phone calls. Oh, yeah. they're bubbling with anger. Yeah. You know, you could pretty much be filtered from most of them unless you went on a few shows. Well, I get the, uh, I, I do a show still on Sirius XM on Stern's channel, and they, we get a call screen that, that shows me like whatever seven or eight calls are up. Name, where they're from, what they want to talk about. And if it says, thinks you're a piece of shit and you suck, click, hey, how you doing, Bill in Denver? Those are the only calls I take. I love it because I know that after two or three minutes, they're going to go, I'm fucking around, dude. I love you. Or just silence and a hang up because they couldn't back up. They're opening fucking barrage. They couldn't back up. Well, Greg, I should preface this by saying that Greg Greg is uh, one of those guys. Well, every now and then, like today, or yesterday, I, I got a message from him. Who the fuck is this guy? Some guy on Twitter that's giving him a hard time. Do you know who this fucking guy is? I'll tell you what. I'd meet these fucking cowards face to face. Like, you, you, actually, you actually get, you pull your pants up and go, get off my lawn. Yeah. You actually will, yeah. will fucking, you'll engage them. Dude, I almost got in a fist fight the other day. Whoa. On stage, other night. I was in Chicago. You did get in a fist fight in Boston. Yeah, many, many. In Boston at, the, at Stitches, didn't yep. some guy come on stage? Yeah. And you, you got in a fist fight with them. The, they separate you. Everything gets separated. And then Greg comes <laughs> up to the mic and goes, all right, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> and guy, I, got, I got my ass kicked. He had me in a headlock. <laughs> He's fucking, he was just got out of the Israeli army, and he had me in a headlock. <laughs> He's spinning me around like a fucking helicopter. And I go, all right, who's next? <laughs> You no, remember I, the video of the guy with the guitar? Oh, yeah. Some guy beat the fucking dude in the audience over the head with a guitar? And that was back when people Whoa. did videotape shit. That yeah. was magic because yeah. it was actually... Nowadays, you probably can find that all over the place, but <laughs> that was legendary. But no, I still get into fistfights. So this guy was heckling me from the back. He was heckling me. I'm doing this joke about Hispanics. And he, oh. goes, he goes, back off. I go, what? Back off. I go, what are you talking about? Back off. I go, all right, fine. And I asked for a wireless mic for this exact reason. I fucking walk right off. He's in the back row. Place is packed. Walk right up to his table. What are you saying? You don't need to be talking about Hispanics. I go, I just shit on Jewish people, Chinese people, Irish people, black people. You're the last in line. I'm not even attack and nothing. And he's, he's fucking fist clenched looking at me. I go, come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. 
and I just fucking eye contact three oh, feet away. Like, go ahead, what stand do you do up. You just shoot you or stab up. you or something. I don't know what it is. I am you drawn. Just crazy? I get crazy. Irish. I, I'm Irish, Irish yeah. and I think Irish. it's also on stage. That's my fucking stage, man. Uh, but I you're not. It. You're in the audience. <laughs> you, I know. You like went up to I him. know. Yeah, there's. I remember I had a joke about Roswell, New Mexico, about the the UFO crash. Yeah. And about how the government they're printed in the paper. I actually have the the day's newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record. It's pr- at my house in a frame. Yeah. And it uh, you know it said we have recovered a, f- a flying disc. The you the government says you know this is the first captured flying saucer. And then the next day they said, oh, it was just a balloon. I go, well, what about the aliens? I go, those are Mexicans. Apparently, they were up in the balloon. They were drinking. Some shenanigans took place. They, they thought it was a piñata. This chick stands up at the comedy store. It's like, don't be fucking talking about Mexicans. Don't be fucking talking about Mexicans. I go, did you even listen to what I said? Like, I'm not even making fun of Mexicans. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm making fun of the government yeah. for, for a, 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 a lame you know, excuse for this crashed UFO. You, and it's you, a simple joke about the yeah. word aliens having two meanings. Yeah. Not, not really much deeper than Jesus that. Jesus Christ. But no, I hit a hot... Some people yeah. are so stupid. Just the word is a hot button. Oh, this is my favorite. I'm doing a college and I do this joke. It's probably... You probably remember it. This is fucking way long ago. And I said, in college, I was on the crew team, the rowing team, and I didn't know anything about the sport except when I'd seen those ancient Roman slave ship movies. So I showed up for the first day of practice with a big drum and a whip, and we won the league that year, and we captured one of Harvard ships and sold them off as slaves in the Adriatic Sea. Stupid joke. Uh, and exactly the kind of joke you probably hated me for when I was coming up. Like, clever, <laughs> not that funny. And so, You're paranoid, man. I didn't hate you for your so, jokes. No, I just kidding. So I'm at the college, and I do that joke, and this fucking black chick goes, you don't do no fucking jokes about slaves. And I go, ma'am, ma'am, collect yourself. Number one, talking about Roman slaves. They were white. You didn't corner the market on slavery. Sit down. Oh. And fucking she wouldn't stop. Wouldn't stop. In the face of a fact that went against her whole fucking. So what are you saying? That slavery has never existed or that because blacks have been one of the groups that has been subjugated into slavery, that you're defending all slavery? Is it just not on the table? It should not be discussed? Because you're at college where you're supposed to discuss shit and break it down. And I just went off on that rant. Well, I found that colleges were more PC and more more like restricted and censored than anywhere. Well, People would get upset if you would bring up anything controversial. Look at the board. Anything of, racial? Well, anything racial, anything sexist, anything homophobic. But you can't. There's a difference between racist and racial. There's a yes. difference between discussing homosexuality and homophobic. And they can't make that distinction. Yeah. It's all buzzwords. And just real, you know, real facts about humanity that people don't want you to talk about when it comes to, you know, a bunch of different races. It's fascinating. It's part of, uh, you know, what's interesting about life is like discussing what different people do in different parts of the world, you know? And I love that when you bring up religion on stage and somebody gets upset, like I'll say, I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. And then you see somebody cross their arms and get pissed and I just stop and go, okay, hold on, lady. Am I a preacher? Did you hire me to fucking lecture? I'm a dick joke comic. I tell jokes to drunks. If you're looking at me as the guidance in you or anybody else's life, you're a fucking idiot. You know, I'm a comic. We're the lowest, the lowest fucking form of speech in society. You know, we're not supposed to. I think AM talk radio is lower than us. Oh, cool. Phil Hendry? Well, that's good. He's really good. He's though. coming on my show next week. Is he? Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That guy's hilarious. He's a professional yeah. troll. 
the great. What's he been up to lately? He trolled before the internet. He's doing. Uh, I think he's got a lot of podcast stuff oh, and podcast. a website, Art. but he's doing. He's still got an AM show going. In, Actually, uh, Art Bell LA. is AM radio as well. Art Bell. Yeah, AM's yeah. more of like the highbrow. Well, like, now you know they're doing uh, a lot of sports is going to FM now. Sports talk. Really? Because people want to hear sports talk, but young generations don't even tune into AM. They just don't. They don't oh. even look. Yeah. So it's like AM is just losing vi- listeners. People are dying off. Yeah, the only time I've ever put on AM is to hear a sports game, which is yeah. rare because I don't listen to sports. Yeah. Very Mine's for traffic and news. Like if you're in your car and you're like, shit, I need to know what's going on because they yeah. always have like that every 10 minutes. Yeah. I only used to listen to when Art Bell was on. When Art Bell was on AM, I'd be coming home from the comedy store at 1 o'clock in the morning listening to Art Bell talking to some dude who... He just got here from Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, Art Bell had the best fucking show ever for driving by yourself late at night. You know, because it was always some fucking UFO shit or cloning or pre-podcast. Though you'd probably yeah. be listening to something different if you, you know. Yeah, know. yeah, but it was nothing like that on the air. You know, and shows like that time. you could actually get your call through because it's late at night on AM. Yeah, he's got three guys on the line, tops. Well, didn't he have a guy who called and said that he was in Area Fifty? I'm calling from Area Fifty One. They're, they're, <laughs> and then, like at the end, he like yells and hangs up the phone. And, <laughs> Like saying that they fucking captured him. He's trying to tell him where they, all the UFOs are and all the security that we've got down here. We have seven craft. I yeah. can't believe I'm telling you this, but there's seven, <laughs> seven disc-shaped crafts. They, they operate. We don't understand what it is. They sent us in here to back engineer them. Shh, shh, hold on. Hold on. Something's going. Hold on. And they just hang up the phone. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like Orson Welles all over again. Yeah, it probably was Phil Hendry. Well, what do you think in terms of, all right, you, you got a big podcast. I have a, I have a fairly big podcast. But I feel like, what the fuck could the future possibly hold except this free form, uh, all content, no restriction radio? How does that compare? For free, right. anywhere you want it. Yeah. You can download it, listen when you want, pause it. How does that compare to, I gotta have it on, it's streaming live, it's censored? This, like, How do you think in 10 years people are going to listen? Because it started as radio, it's becoming, then it was satellite podcasting do you think this is the one that's going to hold well i think there's a place for this you know and this isn't the ultimate thing to sit when you're home with your girl and you want to watch something on tv you don't want to sit and watch a fucking podcast you know i mean that's weird to sit and watch a conversation i think you maybe want to watch a movie or you want to watch a sitcom or but for times especially when you're doing boring labor you know, like you're fucking stacking boxes and shit. Like there's a lot of people that are listening to this right now that are working jobs. Yep. And they, they either have an iPod on or they have a little, you know, a, 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 a player somewhere where it's, it's a, you know, an MP3 player or whatever the fuck it is. And they're, they're listening to this while they're driving in their cars. They're listening to this while they're on planes. There's a place for this form of entertainment. You know, and that's why I really don't have any desire to do anything else. You know, I've, I've thought about doing other different sort of TV projects, but really the best thing that I do is like this and stand-up. Those yeah. are the two, and then the UFC. That's like enough stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like to, to, to venture off to, into more acting as well. Yeah, it, it's just pretending, you know. It's, yeah, when I, when I look at the fact that in stand-up and uh, podcasting, I can literally say anything, anything. except kill the president. It's, yeah. it's hey, mind-boggling. What? Did you just... He's not, Fuck. Mitt is not president Great. yet. Now I can say, <laughs> I think I can say kill Mitt Romney. No, not, you can't. Oh, you can't? You cannot. No, no he's running I'm, for president. I'm just saying in theory. Um, but I guess my, my question really, though, is like, 
do you think that eventually it's going to be like you're going to turn on your radio in your car and it's yes. going to be podcast streaming? Or yes. It already or, is. It already it's, is. It's uh, on Ford Edge. Our Ford has the Sync, which has like a 3G built into it, and like you can download like Stitcher and stuff. Yeah. Like but that. Stitcher steals content, and you need to get off Stitcher. I got off it. I've gotten Corolla don't. off it. I've gotten Why? everybody off it because they. Steal your content. They cut and paste it. You don't get any record of the downloads. Yeah, you do. They've got yeah. no, you get, they, you they get they full do. charts they, and records they and numbers. Yeah. They didn't used to. And they're running ads. They're running banner ads on your content. So this advertising going on your content that you're not participating in. Yeah, those little iTunes ads. Um, the little those little iTunes. Those are million dollar yeah. ads. I don't. Well, I don't know what it is, but it's this is this dollars. is what I know. This is what I know. Stitcher is an easy resource to put something out that's already free. My thing is already free. Mm. And Stitcher allows more people to get my free shit. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. A lot of people like it. They use it. I think it's a good deal. To me, it's just another distribution platform. Uh, my advertisement is in onit.com, which I own part of, yeah. and in the Fleshlight, which has been our sponsor since we were on a laptop with fucking snowflakes in the background. Yeah. You know, so for me, I like Stitcher. I like the fact that it gets to other people. Some people don't like it because it can mess with your iTunes, uh, your, 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 your ratings, your iTunes numbers. But we're always in the top 10, and we have, a bun- we have every way you can get it. You can yeah. download it as a free MP3. You can have it through an RSS feed. You can have it through Stitcher. You can have it through Ustream. You can have it through Vimeo. You know, we have it on iTunes. You can we make it as as readily available as you can get it. Copy it, throw it up on torrents. Who cares? Do whatever you want with it. It's out there. You but know? if you had a say, you had a CD, right? Somebody buys it. That's different. Then they they all right. Say somebody uh, say. I mean, to me, it doesn't even need a metaphor. Something that's Your free. Your content mm-hmm. is being taken right. and sold. It's basically the, they have done a service for me and they've distributed to me to even for, for but me you can do that more, service but I'm already doing that service and they have expanded my market they've they've given more people something that I do and they have free, a good product that I do for free anyway and I only do I, I mean this this is I only do it free so if more people get my free podcast good so if some, somebody's making a couple bucks selling little ads in order to distribute my podcast that's what it's worth to them it's well, I guess for me, money. my issue is I have ads that I get paid per download I and see. that they weren't giving me the count on those. So that was taking money out of my pocket. And I then see. on top of it, when I found out that they were running ads on my content, that's double. Yeah. That's a double whammy. And to me, it's like the more guys that are on Stitcher, the more people just go, well, fuck it. I'm just going to listen to podcasts on Stitcher instead of people going, I'm not going to be on this thing because it's a bad business well, now model you have for numbers. the future of well, podcasting. You, you're, you have a different sort of a, uh, a take on it. You know, my take on it is... Uh, uh, not based on I didn't have a thing that would pay me based on downloads so that makes a lot yeah. more sense that you'd be pissed yeah but you, now you have the numbers you can give them those numbers of those downloads I actually use Stitcher so much because I like the software yeah you know that would actually sure. would be a thing if you could work it into that'd be like the best solution like listen I still have additional downloads outside of iTunes can we incorporate yeah, those yeah why would you, you add them up because anyway. they're still legitimate listeners yeah, yeah that's a good point that's I guess the, point. I, I got miffed because I only found I found out about it and I emailed them they didn't respond and then when they finally did they denied it and then when they were found to be oh no yeah we do do that but we'll give you like a penny per million and it's like first of all don't make me an offer now that you've already stolen it and sold it and made money and now now you want to negotiate and give me a shitty offer so i just thought these are bad people these are not and i've had the same conversation with a number of big podcasters who had the same experience they when they confronted them they denied it they made mm. shitty offers. They were disrespectful. Mm. And, and to crazy. me, it's setting up a business model. Because say down the road, you do this. Say you do just say, fuck it. I'm doing four podcasts a week. And I'm not going to go on the road. I'm going to sell ads. 
Now all of a sudden, there's going to be other aggregator sites like Stitcher that have already called your RSS feed, copied it, pasted it, so it's not connected and you're not mm -hmm. getting counts. Do you have public and, RSS feeds on your website? Yes, but they have to be, you know, they have to stream through the my RSS feed. They can't just right. Take they, the if they stream your RSS feed, though, then that but means they don't. No, no, I mean that, and that means that you're just saying that any player can do the same thing Stitcher does. We cannot have another RSS I know, I know, feed argument. All right, yeah, yeah, let's not do that. Let's yeah. talk about the goddamn political race. But, no, 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 but it, is, and it is an important point that you're bringing up, and especially what you were saying that, you know, you were getting paid by the download. And I didn't, I didn't have any experience with negotiating with them because, to me, it was nothing but a good thing. So I didn't get to experience the lying or the whatever you say you experienced. I didn't get to experience that because my take was uh, right away was like, okay, good. Now more people can hear it. Yeah, yeah. We no. have hundreds of thousands of people that listen outside of iTunes. So yeah. for, for us, it's it, to have the more distribution that way, the better. And Stitcher is know? actually really good people. I had dinner with the, the president, and he, he was really nice Of course, really they're good nice You're giving them free content. No, no, no. They I, probably I, love you. I, I'm giving free content out to every single person in the world, and they yeah. just happen to have the, a, a player that, that they uh, use. I mean, it does the same thing. I, I, see, I don't get what you and a few of the other podcasters get, guys are saying because you're, you're giving something for free out Oh, anyways. wait a minute. Didn't you have an argument with somebody with on the Bill show? Burr, yeah, All right, Bill well, Burr. let's fuck it. I don't want to yeah. go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that I said my piece. Right. I get you. We're both we're both going after different things. Yes. It's a podcast. Yeah. And I guess there's uh, there's going to be look. We're finding you know podcasting is finding its footing and mm. uh, how it's going to be delivered. And uh, this will be an ongoing discussion and see see what makes most sense and what's the most ethical. Yeah, I mean, a bunch and of guys are doing different things. Like Marin, I know, has a, a thing where you can't get his old ones unless you pay. Yeah, you premium pay. listenership. Yeah, premium. You know, you download Yeah, that's them. smart. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think he's done really well with that. Yeah, but it seems to me like you're charging something for something that you also have for free. Like, why not just have it for free? He's just trying to find new ways to make money. I yeah. know, but it seems weird. Like, you know, like the old ones, they have to pay for the old ones. Like, what's... What, well, well the Don't old you ones. want them to get all your stuff? Like, it's, it's If you want any of it free, I, I just... It seems to me that it should all be free. Well, I think so, to a point. I think that with a lot of times with premium membership, they take out the commercials... Oh, really? And uh, they, you know, a lot of times, like, I have, I have something I give away for free, which is, like, the best of Fitz Dog Radio. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I've got, like, five or six, like, Zach Galifianakis and Jimmy Kimmel, like, some bigger names. Right. And I sort of took the best five, six, eight minutes from each as a way of just promoting the show and putting it out there. Mm -hmm. um, originally, I was thinking, oh, I should make a bunch of best ofs and sell them. And I went, no, that doesn't make sense. I'd rather drive people. It's all about building. I just want more and more people to experience it. Yes. If they like it, keep listening. If not, they tried it. Well, we, what's, what we started doing is uh, Brian started that Death Squad network of podcasts just for that very reason, what I was telling you about at the pool hall, yeah. to try to expand, to, to use the popularity of this podcast to promote the pop, you know, to make that more popular and sort of launch all these little different guys off into their own little podcast world yeah and you know because of podcasts a lot of our friends are like making a living now that weren't making a living before. Oh, that's great. Like and Dun they've done Duncan it. and Ari, like they're like And they've done it through content, yeah. not through yes. marketing, you know, like their mm -hmm. name or their last comic exactly. standing appearance, but actually, you no, know, you've listened hour after hour to yep. me and now you're yep. going to be inclined to come see it. Yeah. They'd love to come see it. Like Joey Diaz, apparently they did a, a gig up in upstate New York. Joey got a standing ovation from the entire fucking room. They just went, they freaked out as soon as wow. they saw him. He's a star. That's amazing. He should have been like that a long time ago. It's yeah. just it, he needed something like a podcast to really let the audience see who the fuck he really was. The day that Whitney Houston died, I, I put a, a, I said in honor of the the death of the great Whitney Houston. Here's a video of Joey Diaz talking about selling coke to her. <laughs> 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 
Oh, no. was on the, the day she died? <laughs> she died. Oh. I totally should have done it. I totally should have done it. It was so rude. Did so you rude. get a lot of shit about it? No. No. Look, it, it, that was one that everybody saw coming. I mean, that was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Whitney Houston had that TV show with Bobby Brown. Do you remember? I know. Like, that's my shit, motherfucker. That's my shit. That's my shit. Crack is whack. Yeah. Oh, my God. They'd be screaming at each yeah. other and shit. It was, it was chaos. They'd be screaming at each other. You remember when she would? They would be. I said they'd be screaming at each other. <laughs> I didn't say they be screaming at each other. They be. How dare you, Brian? How dare you? Oh, they boy. be screaming. If that's offensive to some people. You can't even say that. They be screaming. You can't talk like that. You're not yeah, allowed you can. to. You can. I agree. They be talking like wooey. Yeah, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to say that. I find the more I say it, the more I'm allowed to. <laughs> you know, it's all about saying it a lot. You have well, to like stay wet. It's like you know when you get out of the pool and yeah. you dry off. And then you don't want to go back in. Just stay wet. Our say vocabulary it. is slowly being diminished. Yeah. You know, uh, someone talked about the Jeremy Lin incident where a reporter got in trouble for saying a chink in, your, in his armor. I know. Accidentally. Yeah. He wasn't saying it as a joke. Yeah. It slipped out. That is what you say. It's not chink. So we're supposed to run every fucking yeah. thing we say through the prism of political correctness and who might... How, yeah. how do you talk? It's craziness. Or unless the guy was trying to be cute. Because then you have to say, if the guy was just trying to be cute, yeah, that's kind of a douchey thing to do. If the guy was just trying, I mean, he, he's never really going to admit it. He's not going to say, look, I was trying to be cute. I got caught. Yeah. Whatever. I said, Chink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's, a, he's a Chinese guy. You get it? <laughs> you know, but um, people people were upset enough that that guy, like, he got suspended, right? Didn't he, he, got got suspended? he got no, fired. No, I think the writer, somebody wrote it, and then he said it. I so, think the broadcaster might have gotten suspended or I got his wrist slapped, but I think the guy who wrote it into the copy got fired. was fired. Well, he was probably trying to be cute. If he wrote it, actually wrote it down, come on, when you write things, you think about them way more than just say them. It's hard to think he yeah. didn't catch that. I it, said kamikaze this weekend in Japan during a fight, and it was totally accidental. Because oh. a guy was losing, but it's okay. Kamikaze's not like in, in Japan. Like yeah. Saying kamikaze in Japan is not like calling someone a chink. It's like that. Those are like they were revered warriors yeah, that yeah. risked their lives. Like they're 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 brave. Risked to them. Done. They yeah. extinguished oh. them. Well, they're pretty sure they were going to die, and they were correct. But <laughs> there was a dude who was losing, and I said, "Look, he's losing. He the only way he's going to win this fight is if he goes just fucking kamikaze at him." You know, I didn't even think about it until somebody wrote it online. I can't believe Rogan said kamikaze. <laughs> like, that's what I would say. That's yeah. what I would always say. You got to just go kill or be killed. Just yeah. go in there. Dive bomb on him. No, I write on a lot of black shows for some reason. I've written on like four black shows. <laughs> and I always say Which shit. Ones? Well, Wanda Sykes and uh, Cedric the Entertainer Presents. That was the first oh. gig I ever got. Louis brought me onto that. And, um, and then I wrote on uh, Jamie Foxx's show this past spring. And so every time I come in, it's like... Because I'm white, and it's almost always like all... Like the, the Jamie Foxx thing, I was the only white guy, and I was brought in. Things weren't going well, and then they brought me in and Hugh Fink to try to help out. What was the Jamie Foxx thing? It was this guy named Afion Crockett had a sketch show that Jamie Foxx was producing. And, um, uh. you know, it was a late-night talk show. And uh, everything I said was taken like, oh, you got to say whip, like, let's whip this into shape kind of thing. And it was always like, oh, there he goes again. They were calling me Mr. Magoo because I would just blindly walk into things. It was funny. Like, they, nobody was offended, but it was like the running joke oh, is that it. it's so easy to right. just say the of wrong course. fucking thing. Right. No, it was hilarious. It was like classic ball busting. Uh. And, it, yeah, so, uh, no, it's, it's hard, man, because I, I really do feel like every time you, you put a word – 
you take it off the table, you're taking the idea off the table. What you're really doing is saying, no, we're not allowed to um, explore, yeah. discuss, dissect, and possibly yeah. you know, deflate an idea. We have to just pretend it's not there because, yeah. we, because it's just, I don't know, um, I don't know where political correctness even comes from. You know, wh- who came up with the idea that people go to college where you're supposed to open your mind and then tell a comedian that he can't tell a bunch of 20-year-olds you can't say fuck. I can't say fuck in front of a bunch of 20-year-olds. All they do is fuck and drink, and, and I can't talk about drinking or fucking. Why am I here? Right. Why, are you, why are you charging them 30 grand a year? For what? To protect them from ideas at college? Do you know that like the board of governors of every major university is overwhelmingly uh, occupied by Fortune 500 uh, board members? Really? Yeah. It is, college is there to create middle managers. It's there to dull down anybody that's going to challenge the status quo. My wife's dad is a- I thought uh, it was just there to ruin neighborhoods. (laughs) (laughs) All the Ivy League schools are in the worst fucking neighborhoods. (laughs) Columbia. Well, Harvard, you you, you could get shot and stabbed anywhere near Harvard. Yep. Berkeley, I think, at one point was a bad neighborhood. I think it's good now. Berkeley is good now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but it's close to Oakland, right? Isn't it? Uh, Does that work? Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's Oakland and then Berkeley. So, but the point is, my, my wife's dad, who graduated number one in his class from Yale, got a, uh, became a medical, got a medical degree, uh, ran for president on the Green Party in California in 2000, and got close to Nader. Brilliant wow. fucking guy. His textbooks are published all over the world. Uh, he had the Alger Hiss chair uh, in sociology at Bard College, very progressive, liberal, Jewish school in New York. And he wrote a book that was anti-Zionist. In his opinion, uh, Israel is a terrorist state that has uh, attacked uh, the Palestinians. And, and, you know, he lost his chair. Wow. He was fired because the alumni didn't like his view. Wow. What the fuck is a college supposed to be? Yeah. Discourse, argument. But that's not what it is. It's just preparing people for work. Yes. I mean, it's sort of discourse and argument, but it's also preparing you for work. For what work? I mean, if you look at the future of this country, where is the work coming from? It ain't coming from the fucking auto factories. It ain't coming from the farms. We don't know where it's coming from. It's going to come from mines that have gone into the depths of challenged ideas and come out of it with the tools to take the status quo and change it and create and develop. I couldn't imagine even existing and going to school in the age of the internet. It must be so fucking different. I know. It must be so different because you can't stop anybody from Googling anything at any time. Mm-hmm. The teacher can't be full of shit. You know, everyone has to, everything has to be checked and the information is passing so quickly. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, you can go to classes... I forgot, I was talking to somebody in college, and they were gonna they were gonna sit down and open up their laptop to watch the class that they'd missed because they videotaped the lectures, right. and you can just download them. Right. So you're you know you got an eight o'clock class in January in Boston, you gonna get out of bed? Fuck no! You wait yeah. two hours and you watch it on your computer. That's so awesome. why are you in Boston paying for a dorm room right. and all this shit? Just right. go to uh, what's the what's the online university? What is the online Phoenix. 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 Yeah, yeah. University of Phoenix University. or whatever. Well, I think MIT offers, they, they offer a lot of their lectures available online as yeah. well. Like, there's a lot of, like, you can literally get, I mean, there was, like, the education joke in uh, the, uh, what was the movie with uh, Matt Gandhi? Damon? Matt Damon and... Uh, Striptease? No. The, the, the fucking, the, the Boston boys. Matt Damon show me the, and... Uh, show me the apples. Born Identity Good. 
That's um, Matt Damon. Cinderella. Who's the, other one? Who's the one who married uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez? Affleck. Apocalypse ben Now. Ben, well, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Remember, you know, he was talking about his Harvard education. And he was just joking about, yeah, you get that with a library card. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Get, a, get that education. Who was the comic in Boston card. who talked about, like, going to Harvard versus another school and it's how much better it is? It's like, what do they have professors at other schools that go, sorry, I can't teach you that. You got to go to Harvard <laughs> to learn that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's just more competitive, right? Well, I better, think it's, you know what teachers, it is? It's about, it's about networking. You're going to go to school with kids whose dads went to Harvard and they could afford to pay this and who had the juice to get you in. And you're going to, those are going to be your cohorts as you grow older. You want to call in a favor? You want to call a friend from fucking uh, University of Phoenix or from Harvard? <laughs> who's going who's gonna to help you out more? And it's, yeah, and they're most likely all going to be successful as well as they get older. And what's really interesting is those guys that get into like secret societies when they're in college. Oh, yeah. Skull and Skull crossbones. And, type yeah, yeah. Dude. That's real. Oh, uh, yeah. That's fucking real. Those Ivy League schools, like really high-end schools that the Illuminati all send their kids to, they really do join secret societies. Yep. Like the Skull and Bones... They like really do like weird gay shit to each other, and oh, they, yeah, they, and cloaks like, and robes yeah. and fucking hitting each other, and they do. A but, lot and of then weird there's stuff shit. that's more out on the surface. They're called dinner clubs at Harvard, and you you try to get into a dinner club, and it's just it's a it's a more transparent version of Skull and Bones, but it's the same thing. These are my boys. We're gonna watch each other's backs, you know, in college, beyond college, and and the criteria for getting in are fucking creepy. They happen. To, this one happens to be all Jewish. This one is all German Jewish. This one is all, you know, uh, people whose grandparents came over on the Mayflower. It's all like these specific fucking cliques, and it's the same thing. I was thinking. It's an like, origin-based clique. Not always. I think there's different ways they distinguish themselves, and I'm sure some of them are based on like. You know, this is somebody who works, who's done a lot of community service work, so let's have a dinner club. But a lot of them are based on, you know, your blue blood, you know, what, what your DNA is and uh, who, your, who your parents were. And, and that's the thing. Also, but then on the other hand, like I remember Boston University, there was like the French house. There was the gay house. There was the, you know, black house. It's like, I thought the idea was that we're all going to get together and mix it up and get to yeah. know each other. Why are we fucking secluding? This is segregation. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm yeah. against college. I really am. I really feel like my kids, I've got a college savings account. They got about two years paid for each at this point. And uh, I don't think I'm putting any more into it. And when they turn 17, I'm going to go, you got two choices. You can fucking waste your brain for or a few years of college. Or take this money, join the circus, go to Europe <laughs> and backpack. I don't give a fuck, but you're going you're gonna to work. You know, you're going to explore, challenge. Louis C.K.'s mom saved up all this money to send him to college. And then when he had a chance, he went to NYU Film School, got in, looked around, and said, Ma, I got an idea for a short film. Can I take this money and make the film? I think I can learn more than I can at the school. And she thought about it, and she gave him the money. He made a short film, got into Sundance. He ended up as the head writer of the Conan O'Brien show. And then Chris, I mean, it was like, you know, there's other ways to make it in the world if you really know what you want besides going to college and being fucking coddled for four years. Yeah, well, I always felt like just learning, like sticking to their lessons. Like if you, if you, you have to have some sort of a base of education. You have to be able to express yourself in the world. You have to be able to understand things. But once you get to a certain point, when you're 17 or 18 years old, if you have an idea of something you want to do, 
you know, if you want to be a, a gymnast, you want to be a professional gymnast or a fucking bike racer, it's not going to help you to learn Roman history. Yeah. It's really not. You know what it's in fact going to do? It's going to take up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take away some of your focus. Prime time. From doing your other shit. Yeah, yeah. Prime time of your youth. Oh, you're going to learn, you're going to be in a band, but in the meantime, you're going to learn calculus. No, you're not. You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna have a shitty guitar skill. You're yeah, not, you're not gonna be as good. Yeah, you're just not. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna get in. You're gonna. You're gonna like be on the outside because you half-assed it. Yeah. No, I think you got to go out. Like I took a year off after high school. I never thought I'd go to college, and I traveled around. I saved three grand. I went to Europe for six months with a backpack, and I came back going like, "Wow, I want to go to college. There's a lot of shit I want to learn, and I'm not ready to be out there." Like I knew I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to go. I wanted to study great works. I wanted to learn how to write. And I, and I did, and, and I, it was a great experience for me. I wouldn't have known it if I'd gone straight in from high school. And I also think that, like, uh, BOCES should be offered earlier in high school. When you're a sophomore, you may know that what you want to be. be bo- oh, in New York, they call it BOCES. It's like uh, vocational school. Okay. Like, if you know you don't want to learn calculus and you're a sophomore, you can start going to cooking classes or small engine repair. And by the time you graduate high school, you're qualified to be a chef or, uh, you know, a, a lead mechanic and eventually own a shop. Yeah, but a lot of people don't want their kids to be boxed in like that because then if the kid grows up and then eventually wants to actually go to college, well, now he doesn't even have the base for it and he can't even compete. In, you know, no, in you still get your core classes done. Okay. But instead of learning, say, a, a second language, which you have to do in high school, oh. uh, you sub out those for these. Vo- you, you go away like three days a week for half a day to a vocational place. Okay, and now learn I remember the name BOCES. Now that you're saying that, now I remember. It. it sounds like a slander, but it's actually I the name forgot. of the program. Yeah, I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah. Well, who the fuck knows what they... I mean, I didn't figure out what I wanted until I was 21, like, what I wanted to do. You know, I really didn't know until I st- started doing stand-up. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to UMass Boston. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. You but finished? Only, only, no, I only went for three years. And yeah. I only went because I didn't want people thinking I was a loser. Yeah. It's the only reason why I went. It was, mm. it was to, to barely paid attention. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a lot of money to not pay attention. Yeah, man. and it was weird. You know, I was, um, you know, uh, I would I would be taking classes, and you know, I would uh, like one of them was a weird sociology class with this fucking guy. I'll never forget this guy because he was from Haiti, and uh, <laughs> no matter what we talked about, no matter what we talked about, when you talked about the the the, the, the philosophical works of Leonardo da Vinci, whether it was uh, you know uh, anything it was, back in Haiti. <laughs> What we would do is we would say this, and he would always, no matter what the fuck we talked to him, so that would became like all I could concentrate on was how many different things this motherfucker could connect to Haiti. Because he always wanted to hear himself talk because I think he was learning English. Yeah. You know, so he wanted to hear Well, back in Haiti, that's all he would say. And you just want to go, dude, you're not in Haiti for a yeah, reason. Yeah. Why are you trying to draw from that well? This is the new well. He would wear a tie, a suit and tie when yeah. he, in, uh, in college. Yeah. It's crazy. That's yeah, that's fascinating. You know, we wanted to argue about everything. Yeah, well, the fucking Haitians, man, they like to argue. That's why yeah. I talk to my cab drivers. They, they're either Haitian. <laughs> I talked to this guy. He was an Iranian cab driver the other day, and he's taking me back from the airport. And we start talking about this and that. I was, I was talking to him about, uh, you know, whether or not he thinks that I that we're going to bomb Iran. I go right into it with them. Like, do you think we're going to bomb Iran? Right. And this, and we get into religion, and he goes, you know, I don't know. Uh, I couldn't be there because they wanted you to. He was a Muslim that they wanted you to believe this. And they couldn't accept it. I could just believe that it was exactly the conversation we had earlier Mm. about atheism. He goes, I know there's a God. I know there's a power. I don't think that man has the capacity to assign meaning to it or to understand it. And I was sitting in the back going, here's an immigrant from Iran who drives a cab. I grew up upper middle class in New York. 
college educated. I'm a comedian, and I feel exactly the same way spiritually as this guy does. Mm. And that's that's fucking amazing to me. You know that it all when it doesn't matter what culture you're from, it transcends that. It really, I think, if somebody like you were saying, if you really examine yourself and you're truthful about your, you know. Uh, what your reality is, it, it, it comes out there. There is one human experience, I think. And college, to me, is supposed to be a place where they pull that shit out, where they get say, "Look, here's four years. We're gonna give you a place to live, place to eat. Now just fucking go to town on your brain." You know, someone needs to develop a much more unconventional method of of teaching people, where they truly can go towards things only that they're interested in. You know, you've got all your mathematics and everything already. Let's let's. This is instead of you know learning about history, learning about what what the fuck do you want to learn about? Man? Yeah. What do you? Well, let me tell you something. This is what that will qualify you for. You get really good at that. What what are you interested in? You're interested in this. Okay. Well, let's take you down that road. Yeah. You know. But so many people don't even get that opportunity. You just you're forced to fit into a, a hole, whether it's a round hole or a square hole, whatever it is. You're yeah. forced to conform to become whatever whatever the fuck that hole is. And then you know, like when you have people that were. Like that girl Jennifer that I was dating had a restaurant hotel management. That was her major. Yeah, that's right. And that poor fucking girl, she went from right out of college to working 16 hours a day, every fucking day. She was always exhausted. She was always broken down. And that's what she had to look forward to. Yeah. All the people in the restaurant, hotel, bar, management world, those fucking people would work for a salary, always salary. No one got paid overtime, and your work was never done. You were doing, and you spent four years not doing that. So yeah. you're behind the people that started yeah. doing the same yeah. shit. She, and it, it, it's all, you know what it's also about is like technology and uh, you know digital media. Every information and and the progress of uh, every industry changes so fast. Mm. If you're going to college, you're learning your industry from a guy who learned it. Before you started college, you're learning yesterday's industry. Yeah. And then you're going to try to go into computers or you're going to try to go into, you know, uh, even acting. There's different styles of acting. You go and you got these old acting teachers that learned from Stanislavski and they're teaching you, you know, repeat and answer and repeat. I fucking suck at audition. I spent two years at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York and I fucking suck at auditioning. I, I'm a good actor, but I don't get the chance because I fucking suck my own dick when I go into a casting room. <laughs> Nobody taught me how to do that because they, they wanted to teach you Russian theater. Right. And, and it's the same with every industry. You're learning the fucking dinosaur method of things. Yeah, that used to be the way it was with martial arts until the Ultimate Fighting Championship sort of came around. Everybody was learning this old style of, of, of doing things where it had been a, it already evolved past that. It yeah. should have been... Should have been in a completely different stratosphere, but everybody was holding on to the traditional methods, and no one was exchanging information. Yeah, who was the first person? Who would you say is the first pioneer in that kind of crossover? Mixed well, the most arts? significant guy is Hoist Gracie, because he was the guy that won the first Ultimate Fighting Championship, and he won it in a way that proved that a smaller man with more skill could defeat a bigger man. Because mm -hmm. that was always the goal of martial arts was like the Bruce Lee thing, where this little guy could fuck up everybody. <laughs> But the reality is in striking, that really doesn't work. Yeah. Because little people can't hit as hard. They just can't. You yeah. Know? I mean, a little guy who can kick can kick you in the face, yeah, it can hurt you. But the reality is most fights end up on the ground. And the little guy might throw a kick and slip because the fucking beer bottle fell on the floor and there's water everywhere. And you, you don't have the footing to throw fucking wild head kicks in the middle of a bar. But when push comes to shove and you tangle and you go to the ground, then you have to understand how to grapple. And what the jujitsu. Uh, that Hoist Gracie had when he fought in the UFC was Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And no one here knew what the fuck that was. 
Dudes had no idea what that guy was doing. But UFC at that handful. point was that was that was chain link fences, and it mm-hmm. was in another country, right? Well, no, it was De- Denver, Colorado was the first oh, okay. one. Okay, you know, it was put together by Horian Gracie, who is uh, Hoyce's older brother, who's a lawyer, he's a very smart guy. And what he, year is this about? Nineteen ninety three. Yeah, huh. and it changed everything. Because my whole life, I had been a, a striker. I had done kickboxing and taekwondo. It was all striking, and this was the first time that I had seen like what could happen with submissions. You yeah, know? I'd wrestled in high school, but I never really pursued it at much after the one year in high school. I'd never learned any chokeholds or anything like that. And learn and seeing this guy just dismantle people on the ground, you'd be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like what would I do? Like all these other guys, these big strong guys, are getting strangled. What would I do? He'd strangle me too. You know, it was the inescapable conclusion. I saw it. I was like, the inescapable conclusion is if you didn't know what this guy knew and you got let him get a hold of you, you're fucked. So that, but so he changed it the most. So he changed it the most. But in terms of like what we're talking about, which is that when you try to. When you try to do things differently, mm-hmm. people will try to stop you. Yeah, UFC Pragmatism. is still—it's still trying to fight off the stigma that it's this vicious back alley. You know, not you know too brutal. But wasn't this year kind of a big test for UFC going to that next level and going on network? Yeah, because it came on Fox. It's it, it, it is completely up the profile. I mean, and is Fox, it a success? Did it yeah, succeed? Yes, and Fox is really enthusiastic about it. They have a, a big long term deal, and they've seen the UFC develop over the years. And get, it, it took a long time before they got interested in, but they got interested in it at the perfect time because the product is so developed, the brand is so developed, the fighters are so high level now. I mean, the, the referees are great. Everybody's safety is at the all time high as far as like the broadcasting is state of the art. It's easy as fuck it's the, that's the easiest well, it's thing. easy because you love it and you know yeah, it it's very easy yeah it's uh it's a it's a fun exciting thing to do but it's like for me it's it's, it's as natural as can be some guys don't yeah. seem like i watch jim rome i know a lot of people love him i feel like he's working yeah i don't feel like the guy's enjoying like what he's it's doing that, like it's him yeah right yeah i know what you mean yeah, well, a lot of people, they don't, in that world of sport, that's a bullshit world. The yeah. sports world is full of shit. It's too many guys in, in yeah. fucking Italian suits talking about something. Too that many doesn't guys need to be with basically the same yeah. type of talking. What we're dealing with here, you know, they have this artificial and, strip club. And DJ Joe, sport. what do you think next week, yeah. Minnesota against another team? Which one do you think will yeah. win? By, and why? And how many points and why? And Utah, oh my God. It fucking dr- and it's yeah. always these ex jocks that are wearing suits and they look surprised they're in a suit. Yeah, like, oh my god, I'm in a I'm suit. Getting, I'm in a suit again. Look at me, I'm in a yellow suit. Yeah, let's go to the uh, let's go to the Latino mulatto chick on the field who knows nothing about sports. But she's hot as fuck. Always. They have that on Showtime when they do Strike Force. They have hot girls that interview the fighters and they put together. You know, they they do a good job. They put together some questions and they feed them to her and then she. You know, she knows a little bit about the sports. So yeah. She could banter a little bit if she has to, but the most important thing is she's hot. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, yeah, look how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Give me something to look at. <laughs> Mix it up a little. Yeah, a sweaty guy with a hot chick. Yeah. I but, got lucky with the UFC in that I got in before it was ever big. Dude, I got I mean, in like you, real that's early. That's the second big wave you've caught in your life. I'm lucky as fuck. Yep. I've always been lucky. But not lucky. I mean, I was trying to say this to you before when we were playing pool. When young comics ask for advice, I just want to say to them, live a life. Do something, you know, don't just fucking write notes and go on stage and then, you know, talk about your cubicle job and go travel, go, Mm. you know, follow your path. Like you've always stayed with martial arts and then all of a sudden this thing comes up and it wasn't lucky. It was the fact that you had 
um, honored your your passion, not just in being a stand-up, but in life. And that's what I say to young comics, like, go, you know, like me. I got married and I had kids. That's something I really wanted, I love, I'm into. I talk about it on stage. And you, you see people go, oh, I'm not going to be one of those guys who talk about my kids on stage. It's like, it doesn't matter what I talk about. I'm saying it. Right. You know, yeah. anybody can make a topic interesting if it's truthful and real. That's a weird thing that people do when they believe that somehow or another, if you talk about children, like all of a sudden you've fallen into this sellout, yeah. like like really pacified, sort of wishy-washy sort of stand-up. Like yeah. you, you, you abandon the possibility that anything could actually be really funny about yeah. having kids. When in fact, there's funny shit that happens all the time. Yep. Well, not just funny, but it's... Perspective. It, it's existential, you know? I mean, you're talking about life here. It doesn't get any deeper than yeah. having looking at your son. Like, I'm going through this thing now where my kid is like... I tell you, he's testing for his black belt in Taekwondo in the spring <laughs> after awesome. fucking seven years. Uh, he's 11 years old. He's captain of the soccer team, straight A student. He is uh, fluent in Spanish, goes to a Spanish immersion school. He's the tallest kid in his class. He's fucking beautiful looking. And I go, you want to make out with I him? need a DNA test. No, I don't fucking. You don't believe it? Who? I'm the opposite of that. Short, scrawny, horrible athlete, horrible fucking student. Maybe it's the hormones and the beef. It could be. It could be. Kids are getting way bigger. They're they're 100. They're bigger. And but girls, not girls are having their periods and earlier. Calm. He's just and and so I'm going through this thing where I'm kind well, of. You're a good dad. You raised him well. I mean that's that's a good sign. It is a good sign. I'm proud of that. And it's also, but it's it's a great premise. Like I know my kid's gonna be stronger and smarter than me soon. And it's fucking scary. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, how do I hide it from? Well, him? you don't have to. You just be a great dad. You don't have to look. My Start you know, using a belt. As uh, I was, uh, <laughs> it's too late. I'll hit me back. Getting older, there was always uh, these old martial arts guys that were around that were treated with great reverence yeah and, you know you could easily kick their ass they were old yeah. they were old and broken down but you never thought of that yeah because you had always developed great reverence for them just as long as you develop respect in your kid your kid's never going to challenge you you never yeah. have to deal with that shit i, I never, think it's a very base biological i think it's just like a real in the wild kind of thing yeah it is a little bit but you know what you just got to calm that down by letting him know that you're on his team yeah you know? and letting him know that everything that you do to discipline him is only for his own development it seems weird but you went through it just as much as he's going to yeah. go through it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's, and it is hard because as the dad, and I don't know how how deep you are into that part. Is like I feel like I have to be that. Uh, you know, it's a role. Uh, it's, you know, it's I a, end up being the disciplinarian more than my obligation. wife does. Yeah. Of course. Well, you know, there's a balance. There's a yin and a yang, and there's a mom and a, and a dad, yeah. and just the way it is. And you know, it, you should be. I mean, my point of view is you should be as loving as possible, but the shit stops with me. Yeah, you know, and you know that's how it's always supposed to be. That's how it is in a fucking gorilla colony. Yeah, when 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 everybody's going crazy and fucking swinging off trees, and the gorilla goes, everybody settle the fuck down. Yeah, all right, the man's here. Yeah, we got this. Let's calm down. Yeah, you control. can learn a lot about parenting yeah. from the, the dog guy. What's yeah. his name? Caesar. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. kick Every, your kids. Everything he said. Well, does, oh, does he you. say that? Kick kicks, the dogs? Kicks the dogs. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Yes. No, I just knew that Listen. the whole pack mentality Listen, thing yeah. is. Kick him. He just taps him on the side. No, 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 no. He heals them in the gut. And if you did it to me, I'd punch him in his no fucking shit. face. Really? Yeah, it's a kick. It's a kick. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? The, the reality is that people don't want to hear you have to be physical with dogs. You know, I don't. Yeah. Hit, I never hit my dogs, but I I used to raise pit bulls, and the one thing you have to do is you have to dominate those motherfuckers. Yeah. I used to slam them on their back. I used to mount them and bite them. Yeah. I'd bite their face and yell at them. Because yeah. if they growl at you a little, man, you have to cease and desist that when they're a puppy. You have to make sure that you make them know that you are you are dominant over them, but you're loving to them. Yeah. You do you control them? Like, listen, bitch, don't you ever fucking do that again? Okay. Yeah. We good? Give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Give yeah, me. yeah. And no, I have like, two little pussy dogs, yeah. but one of them is a biter. 
and oh. I just grab her by the scruff of the neck yeah. and I push her face down yeah. and then I put my face in front of it and I growl. Yeah. And yeah, granted, yeah. look, it doesn't matter how small a dog is. That motherfucker bite bites. Yeah. yeah. Had, my friend had a fucking a miniature pincher, and this motherfucker bit the shit out of me once. Yeah. We were watching TV. I was just sitting there, and the thing snuck up behind me and just jacked me in the back. No. Oh, yeah. Out of nowhere. It was a creepy dog. I've never heard up, of that in my come life. Come up to you on the couch and just fucking bite you. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. I mean, out of no oh, it was a mean little dog. I don't know what happened to the little dog What'd you in do? its development. You motherfucker. Like, yeah. yelled at it, and it ran away. Yeah. But I was like, dude, you got to lock your dog up, man. Your dog's a biter. It, like, yeah. punctured skin on my back. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you bring that up. The reason my son's in Taekwondo is he used to bite other kids when he was like three. And we're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And someone said, Taekwondo, it'll yeah. teach him discipline. restraint, yeah. discipline, peace. And I'll tell you, man, in six months, he just stopped. Yeah. And he's like this well-disciplined kid. But um, no, but it's all, it's all on me, this thing with my son. Sure. I know that it's a psychological thing. And it's just, but I'd, I'd be embarrassed to think that. And I say it out loud. And I, do, I talk about it on stage because... To me, that's what stand-up is. What's the thing I'm most embarrassed about in my life right now at a deep level? And it's like I've, I have a very Oedipal feeling right now, which hmm. is a real thing that dads go through with sons, is you start to – my dad. I felt it with my dad. But your he kid's only 11. Yeah, but he's a big kid. <laughs> if this shit hit the fan, it might be a struggle. Well, yeah, you now can always start taking jujitsu now. Keep him away and you yeah. – Start lifting. Now, I, I believe me, I, I see only good things for us and our future. It's just a, it's a weird emotion to feel. Yeah. You know? My, my friend Rick has two kids that are 20 and 18 now, and he's like, they could both beat my ass. Yeah. Like, you just. That's How's his relationship with him? Fine. Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good dad. Kids used to go through a period in their late teens where they fucking hated you. Yeah. And I don't think they do as much. I think parents are better now. And yeah. they're, I think there's obviously that pull away part where they have to find themselves among their friends more than their family. But it's not that violent, I hate you as much. I think there was a lot of because I said so when we yeah. were growing up. They're yeah. like, what the fuck? Give me a goddamn ex. And now I think, you know, because enough generations get through that where you say, I am not going to do that stupid shit when I have kids. I'm going to respect my kids' intelligence. Like, I have like long conversations with my daughter about why it's wrong to do this. And this is what's wrong because when you do that, I know you feel like it's right, but you hurt other people's feelings. Yeah. And you should always avoid hurting other people's feelings if you can, right? Mm. Right. And then we'll have a long, long... Nobody ever did that with me. Mm. It was because I fucking said so. Go to your room. Ah! And, you yeah. know, that's what, what we got when we were kids. There yeah. was, there, nobody was educated on how to psychologically properly evaluate and how to raise children because their parents grew up in the fucking depression. Mm -hmm. When you had a, my, my grandfather used to tell stories about breaking rabbit's necks, how you break a rabbit's neck to put a, a pot to make rabbit stew. And I was like, Jesus, you ate rabbits? The fuck was wrong with the world back then? You know, but my grandfather living on a farm, you know, as yeah. a, a young boy in Italy. Yeah. That's what you had to do. There was well, no also, getting around that. growing up in a Catholic country like that, I mean, there is a, there's an intense uh, shame that's mm. put upon you at a young age. You know, yeah. you're, you're taught at an early age, you're born into original sin. Yeah. Adam and Eve fucked up, so you're bad and dirty, starting out. And then <laughs> you get to uh, sex. Yeah. Well, Jesus came out of an immaculate conception because any woman that actually fucks to make a human life is a whore. She had to be pure. Like all these images that you may not even process, but they get into your hard drive when you're young of like, shame on this, shame on this, bad. I, I was raised with it, and it's yeah. like the biggest thing I've bad. Catholic with. guilt is like the, the East Coast's main curse. Yeah. It's one of the things most fucked up about the East Coast is the, the wave of Catholic guilt that has just polluted all the consciousness. 
the consciousness of all the different people there. Yeah. And think about what our grandparents went through, man. I mean, they, look, our parents were raised by our grandparents. Our grandparents lived in the dark ages, yeah. essentially. They lived in an area with no fucking television. There was no nothing when they were children. Yeah. There was no nothing. There, there was the written word, and, you know, occasionally you would see a photo of somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, imagine what it was like growing up literally at the turn of the century, 1900. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, fuck. You didn't travel. You no. had no outside influences. So whatever you were taught, whether it was by the church or by your parents that were living in fear, yeah. that was your whole reality. You had nothing to balance that out. Yeah. So you, you bought it even more so than maybe I was affected by a Catholic upbringing back then. There was no separation between what you were living and anything outside you yeah. in the world. And my grandparents, I don't know about what, what generation you are as mine far as Mine all came over from Ireland, my grandparents. Yeah, mine as well. Mine, my grandfather came over from Ireland on my father's side. My grandmother on my father's side came over from Italy. And both my grandparents on my mother's side came over from Italy. So everybody took a fucking crazy chance and jumped in a boat, went across the ocean. So they were nuts. Yeah. They were the <laughs> nuttiest fuckers ever. You didn't even know what was over. There. No yeah. one had an idea. You had stories. People told you stories. Yeah. You get to see a picture of what New York City looks like, and they they took a fucking chance, like animals. Like I always think about that. The second you step off the boat, maybe you got a piece of paper with an address somewhere yeah. in the city. You've never fucking you've never found your way in a foreign place in your life. You grew up in one town that you never left. Now you're surfing Manhattan, trying Jesus to find Second Christ. Avenue. It's crazy. And you, if you've never seen the gangs of New York, oh, most people great. don't know what Manhattan used to be. You just kind of assume somehow that it was always this city yeah. with yeah. the big buildings. No, it was craziness. Yeah. It was a nutty village. It was really... It was that's feudalism. It was yeah. gang, gangs of people. Gangs of New York. It was, that was really what it was like back then. And it's, it's a, an amazing thing to watch. It sort of puts the whole idea of settling this country into perspective because most people can't really wrap their heads around how quickly the United States has developed. The idea that 1776 it was formed, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. That is like nothing. Yeah. That, there was nothing here, a few houses, a few fucking log houses here and there, and then all of a sudden, in a couple hundred years, whoosh, yeah. everything. Manhattan, fucking Atlanta, Chicago, fucking roads all the way across this bitch back and forth covered in concrete yeah whoa yeah. cars flying You're over freaking it. me out right now the fact that that happens over <laughs> <laughs> i swear Think to god i was it. looking in your eyes i was like holy shit 200 years yeah in 200 years it yeah. went from that to 1776 yep to 1976, 200 years. And then you think about, and this is my, always my thing, people go, well, well, black people need to get over it. Ah, they were slaves two, two fucking generations ago. Yeah. Yet that's a short period of time yeah. to expect an entire uh, culture of people to recover from uh, a really fuck. You talk about yeah. Catholicism being fucked yeah. up two generations ago. How about your mo- your grandmother was getting raped, and Ooh. your your father and mother were split up. Your aunts and uncles were split up. I mean that that's a lot. And, and gra- granted. I'm not like, uh, I think affirmative action was a failure. Yeah. I think that we're grappling with how to try to equalize society for all people. I don't know the answer. But I, I do it know that to it, do, we got to look at it as our problem. It's not yeah. their problem. It, I think it has to do with poverty in general. I think you, we, you have to address poverty from the standpoint of children's being, children being raised in poverty. Children's. Children's. <laughs> the children's being raised in a bad community. Um, I think uh, children being raised in poverty and neglect is always uh, the big issue. Because yeah. if, if you don't do something about those kids now, you are just essentially 
you're gonna you give them no choice to but, but to become criminals themselves. Yeah. If they're being raised in the environment, they imitate their atmosphere. Everything around them is bad. Everything around them is negative and, and neglect. And what is happening? What is there's there's a there's got to be a way to get to those kids to get to those kids and help them through some something where it helps their parents or some sort of a community outreach. But the idea that people at the top say, "Why should I give them anything? Mm. Fucking single mom just wants to have more kids." And like, well, don't you don't isn't there a root cause of that? That single mom was someone's baby at yeah, one point. In time. Yeah. Obviously, someone fucked that baby up bad yeah. that it became a grown adult that just shits out kids for welfare money. Yeah. Like, what we got to do is get to them when they're babies. Mm -hmm. Get to them when they're babies and help them. Help the mother. Help for the sake of the humanity as a whole. As exactly. A, as a super organism. Selfishly. That's the thing about Selfishly, Here's the yes. thing about the conservatives yes. is very often I find that there is a short-sightedness. If they're the, if they're the um, party of economic restraint and responsibility, I think that you're creating a bigger deficit and you're creating a more fragile economy when you have people that are uneducated, that grew up, like you said, in an atmosphere where they were abused and they don't have the tools and their role models were shit. If you allow that to happen, it's a drain, mm -hmm. selfishly, on your economy. Yes, absolutely, and on your safety. Yeah. Your economy and your safety. Investing in the infrastructure of inner cities and building the bad neighborhoods and turning them into better neighborhoods and giving people chance and hope and giving them the possibility of positively contributing to society. Yeah. So instead of being a burden, they're, uh, they're something That's that all helps. anybody wants. Yes, they, they want the to contribute. That's the root of happiness. Again, yes. going back to these studies, yes. is the, the, the most that you can boil it down to, and there's this guy that wrote a book called Happiness. He, was a, he teaches a class at Harvard. It's the most attended class in the history of Harvard University. Wow. And he's a guy that's taken every type of thought going back to fucking Confucius and Jesus and young and then modern psychiatry and basically just studied it for a decade and come up with basically happiness is pursuing something that you care about and feeling vital. That's it. Not welfare. It. Nobody wants a fucking welfare check mm. to raise to be a single mom. People want to be involved. They right. want to feel that they, uh, they are making an imprint on the earth. Yeah, so some some sort of a community outreach, and then you know you've got to have things that help people get off drugs. Just for a fact, there's going to be people that are fucked up, and they're not going to be able to make positive decisions because they're on drugs. And if that's your environment, if that's your community, if that's your neighborhood, it's within your best interest to clean these people up. Yeah, it's within and your it's not the war on to, drugs. No. Cutting off the it's cutting abuse. off the need to do drugs yes. is what what is at it's the core treatment. of it. Treatment. treatment, not yeah, incarceration. Not, yeah, and not and not judging people, and not and the more things are illegal, the more people are going to do those illegal things. It's yeah. always been the case. And at least if you had legality, you could it, first of all, it could should always be a social pariah, and you should boycott any fucking company that would profit off the sale of those drugs. They should be you the the stigma. Which drugs? Any drugs that you sell that fuck people up. The negative stigma should be the punishment enough. You should be disassociated by society yeah. if you choose to sell in something that's going to cause people to fuck up their lives yeah. and we all know that there's drugs that do that we all anybody who's selling meth is a piece of shit it's 2012 we've got but, the info but there's always going to be a new meth. hillbilly cocaine there's always yep. going to be a fucking ammonia mixed mm -hmm. with this that gets you high mm -hmm. so to me it's about how do we cut out the abuse how do we cut out the loneliness the mm -hmm. uselessness that yes. creates a need for drug use or alcohol Whoa. alcohol is the fucking that's the unsung hero of failure oh, yeah. you know it's it's worse than drugs yeah. and yet it's on in the super bowl and and it's legal and uh, you know to me i don't want to go down that road cuz that's a whole other fucking well, podcast well that's also but, when you changed as a person when we were young you got much more serious about your career as well when you you quit drinking yeah 
you know, you you went. You were the first guy that I knew that uh, you you handled it great because you didn't you didn't waver at all. You're like, look, I can't drink. I drink. I get fucked up. I can't handle it. Period. I don't want to be a loser. I'm done. And you did that when you were like, tw- what are you, 22? No, How I was probably 24 when I did it, and it was you know I had started drinking very young, and, yeah. but but it was stand up. I mean, I yeah. couldn't drive to gigs if I lost my license, and right. stand up was the first thing in my life I ever felt like I might be good at. And right. I was like, I'm not going to lose this. This has been my dream since I was a kid to be a stand-up. So you're not, you know, you're not a, um, a stranger when it comes to the pulls of addiction and no. the, the, the idea that it could ruin your life. And I think, what if you didn't have stand-up? What if, you know, you were in a pit of despair with a shit job and no future aspirations or hopes, you know, nothing on the landscape? Yeah. Fuck, man. You, know, you need an option. It's easy. There's yeah. got to be a compelling option because getting high feels fucking great yeah. nobody can deny that yeah. and if you don't feel great and you can feel great that's right. what you're gonna do and the only thing right. that feels better is you know feeling like something. people are expecting you to produce something and you do it and you feel good about well, it. well especially as an artist i mean and i hate that that word you know hey man i'm an artist but but per- putting out something that you create that people enjoy they love it you know yeah. people like podcasts like this like your podcast people people love the fact that they can get some enjoyment out of this like when I go to um, I, I um, the only podcast I really subscribe to other than a, a few of uh, my friends stuff and death squad and stuff is uh, the psychedelic salon my favorite podcast it's like this guy uh, I think his name is Lorenzo Lorenzo is the guy who uh, runs it and he um, he puts all these really, really interesting lectures, like Timothy Leary lectures and Robert Anton Wilson and Terrence McKenna. And, you know, every week there's some new, really cool, fucking interesting lecture by some really educated, trippy people. Wow. You know, it's, it's really awesome. Oh, that's and cool. when I look at my iPod, when I sink my iPod on, I'm like, ooh, looky, looky, is a treat. <laughs> and you get excited. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like now I know when I'm, uh, you know, I'm in my car, it, you know, syncs up with my car. So I'm driving around, I'm listening to it. And it's a, I love that. I love that that's a, a treat that you can, you know, get for free and it's something that and and it's pretty good feeling to think that people feel like that when they see your podcast come down and for brian and i it's uh particularly satisfying because we didn't have any aspirations at all we just we started it off you could see the first one still available on ustream with with a laptop it's terrible it's unwatchable right yeah it's just because we 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 weren't really paying attention to it as uh, people (laughs) listening we were more like hey we're they're just watching us we'll just hang out in the chat room or something like like, that hey hey, dirty bitches What's up? Yeah. What's going on? And yeah. like read someone's tweets. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we're coming to New York. I remember those. I remember listening to an early one and going, <laughs> there was just a 30-second pause. <laughs> I think somebody went to take right. a leak. Like, you guys didn't I care. I took a shit in yeah. the middle of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I said, I got to take a shit. So, Brian, you talk to them. So, Brian's like, so, everybody, do you like cats? <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. remember hearing, like, shit moving around yeah. and no one talking to me. like, uh I kind of this is kind of cool. This is like just a hangout. Well, it's that's the, the real evolution of the podcast is available for everybody to see. So we we uh, I I always knew that I, I always wanted to do a radio show, but I always knew that I would never be able to do a radio show. Like there, no one would ever hire me to do a radio show. Yeah. And I thought maybe when satellite radio came along, like I was I became pals. Like right when satellite radio launched, I became pals with Opie and Anthony, and they always like you know hey we have a channel you know we'd always love to put you on the channel, but nothing ever really happened out of it, and there was some talks and nothing ever really took pace. But then once I started 
started doing a podcast, I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. Like, this is way easier. This is, and now, like, I've got all these people coming on, like, all these interesting people and all these, like, uh, like, uh, like bands. Like, we had Be Real from Cypress Hill yesterday. No had, shit. Yeah, dude. We've wow. had we have Everlast from the House of Pain. He's done it before. And his band Honey Honey is on next week. And then Sam Harris, the, the, the neuroscientist who's the, the, the atheist uh, author and lecturer. Oh, yeah? He's, he's coming out. He's fucking brilliant, man. Wow. That's awesome. I'm so excited about him coming on. But it's like we've been able to turn it from, you know, what it, what it was supposed to be, you know, was just us fucking around, to what I really should have probably been doing in the first place. Snowflakes well, no, to but, cupcakes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Cupcakes it, well, you know what is it? It's kind of like when you, when you, what we were talking about before with, like, The Office, the fact that, or The Man Show, the fact that you're stepping into a preconceived creative paradigm yeah. and trying to fill it up right. is a failure. Exactly. To start with uh, a podcast that aspires to nothing and then organically it builds itself, yeah. then it knows what it is. It's got a foundation based in who you really are as opposed to like, you know, um, even as a comedian, you're starting out, you go through so many different masks. You think, I'm going to be the, like, I was going to be the clever guy or, you know, right. I'm going to be a political comic or I'm going to use props. Yeah, go do it. Go do it till it right. doesn't work and keep shedding and then eventually you're going to be the comic you're meant to be. And I think with the podcast, it's the same thing. You kind of just, you explore and you start to feel what feels right and, uh, and hopefully not respond so much to like, well, people love this. Right, right, I try right. to avoid nah, that. Yeah, I think, you know, people love what you love. And if what you pursue, if you pursue what you love, then people connect to that and they can appreciate that. I can appreciate that, you know, even if something that I'm not really into. What I love is someone else being into something. I love seeing people's passion and honesty. Yeah. And what you get from a podcast you don't get from anything else is there's no restrictions on time. We don't have to cut to a commercial. They're, the thoughts never have to be interrupted. I mean, we, we didn't decide how long we're going. We've been on for like, what? Two hours and forty minutes or something like that. What? Yeah, yeah. Shut we the fuck up. We do that all up. the time. Yeah, we do that all the time, and they just go on, and that's that's. Let's that. take a fifteen second pause. Okay. This you don't get a, an opportunity to have uh, those kind of conversations. Yeah. In, in the in, in especially with someone that's in the public eye or someone yeah. that's a comic, no one gets a chance to really get to know you like they do in this form or like they do on your podcast where you're constantly communicating with them. When they've heard you communicate for 100 hours, they fucking know you. Yeah, man. yeah. They, you can only hide so much. And you know what's amazing is every podcast, no matter how long, I end up hanging out with the guests for another 45 minutes yeah. afterwards. And you're like, you they don't want to leave. People don't yeah. want to leave. But and you could have just kept going. Yeah. And well, I do, I do to a point. I always feel like uh, a lot of times because I do the serious show first, they've already given me right. an hour. And then I usually shoot a video with them. I do this thing called Talk Your Way Out of It where I give people an uncomfortable. I'll do it to you right now. Okay. I'm going to give you an uncomfortable situation. Okay. And then in a split second, you're going to have to talk okay. your way out of it as if you're talking to the person. Okay. All right. Um, you go to the doctor's office, okay. and uh, he's going he's gonna to check you out. So um, he bends you over the table, okay. and then he, goes, he says, oh, I, just, I forgot the rubber gloves. He walks out. You notice that the medicine cabinet's open. You reach in. You find a bottle of Vicodin. You see it. As he's coming in, he's going to bust you. You take it. You stick it up your ass to hide it. The doctor <laughs> spreads your cheeks. He wants to look at your, <laughs> he wants to look at your colon. He puts his finger in. He pulls out the bottle of Vicodin. Talk your way out of it. Oh, that's where that was. <laughs> the only thing you can Five say. words. Five that's words. You, that's all you can in say. The clear. Oh, that's where it is. <laughs> I like thought, you're thanking him. Oh, I thanks. I was thinking maybe, <laughs> but no. 
Usually it takes like two minutes. People talk around it. They describe different <laughs> five words. Just go right. For, come on, man. You can't. You're already busted. Guy found a Vicodin bottle up your ass. You're a freak. I did that. Just give it up. I did that to not, that particular one I thought of because my last show was with Natasha. And I did that to her, but it was in her pussy, and she had her feet in the stirrups. And she goes, oh, I was just tightening that for you. That's hilarious. But, um, yeah, so, um, fuck, this is great. This is great. I just forgot we were talking about it. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. It Natasha's matter. pussy? You're talking about Natasha's yeah, pussy threw you off. That's that. what it is. <laughs> yeah. That's been not going to be fucking with you, son. Jesus. That's what it is. That image, the image of her in her underwear. What's your image boom, right boom, now boom. when you jerk off? What's your scenario that works? <sighs> um, it's variable. Changes. Yeah, it's variable. I go through streaks, one particular thing or another. I stay, I tried to stay away from porn when I first had kids. Yeah. Just because of the idea of the daughter that would eventually become someone. That's someone's baby. That, mm-hmm. But you know what? I can't fix it. It is what it is. Yeah. She's sucking dick and I need it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who do you watch? Imagery. What's your What's your scene? I don't have a. You don't go to like nah. categories and pick nah. like. Just what's crazy. BB, yeah. what, looks, what looks hot. Whatever's yeah. nuts. Yeah, I used to have like like types, but I don't even have types anymore. Just yeah, like, you never know. Just click around. I this feel bad for Asian thing. women now. I can't I can't watch Asian porn anymore. Give up. What I happened? watched too much of it, and then I started to feel like when I saw Asian women, you know, in the in the uh, real world, I started to feel weird. Like, like I wanted to apologize, you know, for beating off, in for front beating of them. off so much. Well, you want a steady diet of Asians? For a lot a of Asians. Because <laughs> I didn't get any when I was young, and I got married before. Uh, I, you know, I used to date a lot of black women, and I dated a couple Latino women, and I never dated an Asian uh, woman. And I find them just absolutely—they're so beautiful, and their their feet they have such cute little feet. <laughs> you would have loved Japan. Mm-hmm. In Japan, they're so friendly. Yeah. Come on. Hi. 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 Everyone's hi. so friendly. Yeah. Brian and I were, were just talking about it the other day when we got back. We were just there together for the UFC. Now, are you married, Brian? Nah. So you get to experience Well, somebody. he's got a girlfriend. Well, I have a girlfriend, but yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> good, good tell. Um. The the beauty of uh, the, the culture is the politeness. Yeah. And the women are so polite as well. Like men are so polite. Everyone's so polite in restaurants and mm. bars, everywhere you go. Everyone like when when people uh, run into people on the street, like everyone's just like there's they're they're so polite. It's yeah. like a completely different culture than ours. Really fascinating. Like it almost literally truly is like an alien world. Like you land in a world where everybody's just polite. The the language is totally different. Yeah. The people all like you know they look Japanese. They universally look Japanese. Japanese do. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's amazing. So you're in this new place where everyone behaves super polite, very orderly. Like when they had the tsunamis and they were giving out aid, people just waited in line, yeah, patiently, politely, disciplined. You know, I mean, he the driver was really interesting. We had a really cool driver, and uh, he uh, spoke very good English too. And one of the things he said was about the uh, the deal the deal with radiation. You know, Fukushima, that uh, a lot of people are sick, and yeah. the government lies about it. And he was like, "Well, the problem is that we trust the government. The uh-huh. go- we don't. They don't. It's, they're not into rising up and questioning the government. People are into that. They trust the government. The government has their best interest, and then they keep their eyes on their own business and they do what they have to do. Yeah. So there's not a lot of like this motherfucking gun. We're time to take this motherfucker down. Yeah. Time to take this motherfucker. There's none of that there. Yeah. None of that there. It's politeness and and sub, not not subserviency, but knowing your place, discipline. You know, respect. You know, you never respect try to the community. Yeah. And you the don't. Family. You don't try to do better than your boss. Yeah. You don't try to do better than your boss. Yeah. 
Callan was telling me that um, when you there's etiquette as far as businessmen. And like, say if your boss orders a certain type of scotch, like a very expensive old scotch, you don't order that. Mm. You order newer, cheaper scotch. You order. You don't order what he orders. Yeah. Yeah. Are there bows based on that also? Do you bow lower to somebody who's superior? That's a good question. Yeah. The, the you? lower you are, the lower you are under that person. So like that's why uh. you can get in a bow fight with somebody if they think that they are lower than you. Uh. And that's where it's like back and forth. Wow, and like forth. Rams. Right. And all of a sudden you're sucking your own dick. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I hey, you, know you. you know what's up, guys? <laughs> you know you're losing the bowing contest when you're sucking your own pee-pee. What's up? <laughs> You know you're underneath somebody when you're looking at the guy behind you. You remember when uh, one of the funniest things about doing the road was like working with black comics? Because if black comics were supposed to be the middle act, they always had heard from the booker that they were supposed to be the headliner. Yeah. But if there was two other black acts, they were always, I got to go up first. Yeah. I'm leaving. I got another yeah. gig. Because they all wanted to do like some of the same references. Like with road hacks, there's like like black road hacks had so many stock jokes. Yeah. There was so much like I ain't seen this many white people since my trial. I what am I people, what am I, the only chocolate chip in the cookie tonight? How many times <laughs> have you heard that? It or was the amazing. fat or the fat guy who uh, takes the mic stand, moves it. Let me get that out of the way so you can see me applause yes, laughter. Yes. That was the thing about um, Boston was that Boston did not tolerate hacks. We were so lucky that we came up in a, in a time where that shit was ridiculed. Because yeah. when we would go on the road and we would work with road hacks. All roads are off. You guys fucking. Yeah. Look at what you're calling They would do anything. fucking act. Yep. Look what you're And then when you go to New York, together. when you're a Boston comic and you go down to New York, all of a sudden they're like, fuck, man, you're good. It's like. Yeah, because we had to be different, you know, yeah. and you had to not be hacky. But the further you travel from Boston, the more, like you said, use your bit. Yeah. Maybe do the guy yeah. comes in late. What, what yeah. do you say when the guy comes in late, Joe? Uh, I don't remember. Can I get you anything? Like a fucking clock? Yeah. Yeah. Every time, and yeah. it's applause break. Every You had like those savers, I and you wouldn't those. dare do that shit in Boston. True. But if you were up in Maine, fuck, yeah. Yeah. race to who can do that yeah. first. Hey, I don't come to your job and slap the dicks out of your mouth. <sighs> that was a, just a jam in your pocket. There yeah. was a lot of tools that we had, like especially as young scrubs. It's like almost like what you had was a scaffolding that allowed you to put together your little comedy house <laughs> because you really didn't have the structure to do it on, yeah. its, on its own. It wouldn't hold up. Yeah. So you had it. So I'm saying, the guy's in the back room going, I fucked your mother. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, no one cares. You know, and the guys I'm, and the other comics in the back crossing it off. Yeah, I can't do that one now. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember those normal Lafoe gigs oh, that we used the to greatest. do? Yeah, Jays and Pittsfield, and mm -hmm. oh my god, it was like I'd never been to Western Massachusetts, and you would just get on the Mass Ooh. Pike and you get off some exit, just a number with woods around it, and then you yeah. drive for another forty-five minutes. Then you get to a Norm Lafoe gig. Western Massachusetts is a trip. That's why UMass Boston or UMass Amherst rather so beautiful. Yeah, that Amherst town is amazing. It's, amazing. it's like this really cool fucking town yeah. in the middle of nowhere in Western Massachusetts. And there's so many towns like that where it's like, what has brought the town together is essentially just the college. And yeah, then I people mean, you, stayed. Yeah, you go to uh, Madison. Uh, uh, um, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lincoln, Nebraska. Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of places like that. Yeah, that's why I always think like, you know, um, I really would like to teach at some point. I always think you? about what going to teach? a cool college town. Um, I would like to teach comedy. I'd like yeah. to teach like, you know, um, 
all aspects of it, you know. Yeah, from, comic history, yeah. comic method, yeah. Auditioning. At this point time, you're uh, essentially stand-up. a PhD in stand-up, you know, you're yeah. a master. I mean, I've written it on yeah. sitcoms, I've written it on late night, I've yeah. written sketches, I've done Grammy stand-up. Grammy winner. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you're a Grammy Emmys. winner. Emmy. Four Emmys. Emmy. You Daytime four Emmys. Four Emmys? Yeah. So, talk shows or? Yeah, I bro- uh, Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, two for producing and two for writing, and then I won, uh, uh, I won a, um, what the fuck was it called? Are a you Cable Ace Award. For- Are you and Ellen besties? Oh, fuck. She just called me. God damn it. I got to call that bitch back. <laughs> no, no. 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 We're, we're not. I mean, we're nothing. Did you ever kiss her on the lips? I did. Did, yeah. you, did you ever wonder what it would be like to make love to her? Yes. Really? Did you think about that? Like, that's got to be weird. Um, well, I think if you put me in an office with a number of women by the end of the week, I will have imagined each of them. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see her Mac? You ever see her put her, put her girl Mac down? The last the time I talked about this, I got a call from a, uh, a lawyer. Yeah, really? Yeah, I can't talk. Wow. About it. Yeah. Oh, did you sign a non-disclosure when you worked there? Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't be talking to me right now. She's an awesome person, right? I love her. Love her to love death. Love the show. Love Jesus. everything about her. You know what's wild? I saw her on one of those HBO Young Comedian specials. They play them on HBO now. Have you seen them? Yeah, that's fucking great, isn't it? Yeah. It's like I saw her in these balloony fucking. Uh, like Joey Buttafuoco pants and the big blousey <laughs> shirt and a, and the mu- and the mullet yeah. and then you see like Jerry Seinfeld come on and his, uh, he's like looks like he's fucking eleven years old. Yeah. I love watching. Yeah, those. you know how to good one man. Oh, I just wonder whatever happened to the guy Rick Dukeman. Oh God, yeah. Rick Dukeman was Jesus. fucking yeah. funny man. Yeah, yeah. He had some good shit. Man. Yeah. He was he was always angry at everything, but it was a different kind of anger. He was like he would leave the microphone in the stand. I remember that because like all my guys, like like my favorite comics, like Pryor and Kinnison and George Carlin, they always carried the microphone. Yeah, but like, he would leave it in the stand. I was like, wow, this is angry with it in the stand. This is a new yeah. approach. Yeah, yeah. He was a funny guy, man. I always wondered. Like, there's always a few guys that like they were really funny at one point in time. And then you're like, where is that guy? Where did I he know. go? You know yeah. what happened? Well, you know what's cool is like Dana Gould to me was like that when he was young. I was like. Fuck, there's nobody funnier than this guy. Yeah. And then he went off to write for The Simpsons. And I was, you know, ca- casual friends with him. I'm much better friends with him now. Didn't see him for years. And then all of a sudden, he came back, like, with a vengeance. Yeah. And now he's, like, phenomenal again, yeah. but in a totally different way. Well, I watched him one of his first sets back. He still had it, but it was weird yeah. Yeah. watching the guy put together a new act. A new act. You know, he clearly knew how to do stand-up, but it was like, you, you could see him, like, doing it, going, yeah. like, wow, this is... It was really kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like that with Chris Rock every time, man. When he start, here's the thing about Chris Rock. You got like Dave Chappelle, who I think came out of the womb, grabbed the mic, and was funny. And then you got Chris Rock, who's a guy. When I don't know if you've seen him when he starts oh, yeah. out, it's oh, yeah. fucking painful. He oh, is, I've seen him go on stage hard. with just ideas and not knowing where they're going and and trudge it out on yeah. stage and not have it work at all. No, I mean yeah. he he's a guy who I think is obviously extremely funny. But at the same time, I think he's cerebral funny, yeah. where he, he thinks about it, he writes it, he rewrites it, he works hard, yeah. and then he comes up with an hour. Like, his, his Bigger and Blacker, is that, was that what yeah. it was called? Yeah. I mean, I'd put it against any hour of yeah. stand-up ever. Yeah, ever. And, and, but, but the way people get there is, uh, you know, it's, it's fucking different for everybody. And, uh, you know, I think cr- seeing somebody start to finish, that, that to me is a great TV show. I'd like to see... Something on Comedy Central where you watch, you know, put the cameras on four or five comics for three months and watch them develop, you know, interesting comics, different styles, and watch them write 
hone, rewrite. That's bomb. a great idea for a show, dude. You should pitch that. You know, the the thing is though that very few guys actually put together an act like Louis does like yeah. every year. Yeah. Like to have people do it like that. But if you force comics to do it for a show, that's good. And then at the end of it, you do a special. And the end of it, they all do a half an hour. It's an hour and a half special. You follow three comics over the course of a year and over that, or six months. Say six months for 30 minutes of material. That's like, that's plenty of time. That's fair. It's, yeah. You know what? Really, you could probably do it in three months if you really had a I think a you got to do ass. three because uh, that would be tough cycle, to get it for filming six. Cycle. Yeah. I think right. Well, unless you could come, I mean, you could, you know, pl- pace it out where you come to them like once every couple weeks or something. Yeah. Like that. I wonder multiple if. Multiple people. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if there's a yeah, way you could to th- eat- three. You follow three, but you follow you really follow six, and you use the best three. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a also maybe you front load it with like uh, they each have to get topics assigned. If you wanted to make a kind of a reality show hmm. that paid off with you know this new 15 minutes, hmm. but you know just to keep it honest, they have to start. I don't know if they all start with the same topics or they draw from a hat for topics. Something to give it like some yeah, structure. some like real Last Comic Standing shit. Because you know what I didn't like about Last Comic Standing when they forced those guys to start auditioning in front of like two judges yeah. and do their act. Like yeah. what the fuck is that? Yeah. That's not even stand up. Yeah, if you really want to watch them do stand up, go watch them do fucking stand up. You're making a guy tell jokes to yeah, you. Give him some dignity. Yeah, and you're trying to do this whole uh, the, the the what's his name from. Um, the, the the English Alfredo. guy, the English guy from Simon. Star Search, Simon Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell. They're doing the Simon Cowell yeah. bullshit. They're yeah. like trying to be like, please, enough. Uh, that yeah. joke is never uh. going to work. You know, they're they're they're, they're doing this like harsh judgment thing because there's a lot. Of, that's what a lot of people like. You know, I don't I don't think that's the way to film. I think the way to film a stand up show is not in front of a live audience like that. It's in front of a bunch of live audience. Yeah, like follow a guy around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, have a reality show where you follow in stand-ups while they're putting together a special, and then at the end of the whole thing, they actually do their special. Monster <clears throat> live event yeah. taping at a, at a good-sized theater. The only problem, though, is then the people are going to know the material. So really, the best way to no, do no, it no, was, because would you're be gonna, recorded in advance. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you bank the whole thing, and then you roll it out later. Yeah, you couldn't do it live. No. But you could, but you could do it that way, where you watch a live audience respond to that material, and you see how that guy's developed it, and you'd really appreciate it as a as a person who enjoys the craft of comedy. You know, some, let's write it up. Let's write yeah, it up. I'm going to pitch it. What do we call it? Um, comic, Stand up comedy. Comic can. Comic can. Ew! How I'm dare kidding. you? I'm comic, kidding. Comic, comic, comic. Um, I think we call it uh, from scratch. Comic. Comedy, from, Comedy scratch? from scratch. Something like that. I like that. I like that. Because that's essentially what it is. And then you pick people with really different styles. Comedy from scratch. That's perfect. You nailed it. That's it. That's the name. You get di- I, th- I like maybe you got the same five topics. You're going to do 15 minutes on five topics. Then you get oh. a guy who's a storyteller. You get a guy who's a setup punchline guy. You get yeah, but you know, we're limiting ourselves if we give him topics. If you just let the guy explore, then you get to see where he's coming up with his material. Yeah, but you don't know see if he him. didn't already write it. I want to make sure they're uh, they're not pulling some old shit out. That's true. And plus, it'd be all cum jokes. That's true. Well, <laughs> what? you know what? Well, you know what? Well, you disqualify them from the show if they do. I say, listen, man, you can't lie about this. If we yeah. find out you're lying about this, you're fucked. Yeah. We want you know we want all new material. Yeah. yeah. I still feel like it needs a starting point. 
It needs hmm. like a crisp, like okay, starting oh, well, how from about here. This? Maybe how about this? Maybe there's there's three comics, right? We want them to have five new topics. Each one has five new topics. You assign them five topics, how and about, they come up with material. How about they have like a fucking big wheel, and they have to reach in and oh. pull the topics out? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, like we spin the wheel, and you reach in. What's your first topic? Yeah, marriage goes oh, up on the board. Shit, yeah. And then there's also the the pitfalls of hackery. Like, how do you avoid? You know, like this subject's been dumped. You're you're you have to do a joke about women's tampons i'm sorry yeah you know that uh, jesus christ do a joke about buying women's tampons is that what you're gonna do price yeah. check price check tampons yeah. aisle five uh, <laughs> i mean is that <laughs> what, how can yeah. you avoid the hack well, premise yeah well yeah. let's play it right now i'll give you a topic you okay. do a joke you give me a topic okay. we'll play three rounds okay go ahead all right i'm gonna start um and, and they and they should be hacky premises just okay. to prove that you don't have to do it um kittens I fucked him. Oh! Come. I came. <laughs> oh! Big fat fucking ace. Oh! <laughs> That's a good show. It's okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, um, um, midlife crisis cars. Um, if you buy a Prius, you might as well just put a white flag in your balls hanging from the antenna. <laughs> Because it's over. <laughs> Greg actually bought a Prius. Because we, we were having a conversation before. He goes, I go, I go. please tell me this is your Prius. He goes, yes, it we're is. We're walking down the street. He has no idea it's which car Venice. is mine. It's a Venice mobile. Yeah. He's living in Venice. I know. I knew, I knew and, you had a Prius. And, and the worst thing is, is I still fucking, I still have driving rage, and I cut people off, and I speed. Ah! And the worst thing is, there's a button on your dashboard on the new Prius where it takes all the electrical shit out, and it's just a fast light little Toyota and you go really fast and you get no gas mileage and that's how I drive all the time well they did a thing on Top Gear where they had a Prius and an M3 and they sent them around a racetrack and the M3 actually ate less gas than the Prius did when it was driving around a racetrack oh yeah it's meant for around town that's where you save the gas but not when I'm driving stop and go I fucking floor it but what he wanted, what Greg really wanted, was a one of those spiffy new Dodge Challengers. Yeah, the big those one. Those awesome. With the Hemis. Those cars are awesome, They're man. They're beautiful. I love they them. They sound good. They, they fucking look great. The shape is satisfying. I found one, and I was looking at it. It was a year old. I got it down at CarMax, and I, I was going to get it for like fucking 24,000 loaded V8. Uh, and then my wife and kids were going, Daddy, the environment. You got to get a Prius. What kind of pussies are you raising? I know. And I just, uh, I, I caved. And Meanwhile, I a Prius, Prius is filled it. with conflict minerals. Okay, yeah. Priuses have lithium-ion batteries. They're getting those from fucking little kids picking up minerals for, for the Congo. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, there's, nothing, there's nothing good about the way they construct those fucking things. Yeah. You know, the only idea is that you're using less gas while you actually use it. Yeah, and what do you do with the batteries when yeah, it's done? It's yeah, toxic, no, it's uh, I made a, I made a mistake. I made a pretty big mistake. Motherfuckers, keep you from a Challenger. That's a I man's know. car. That's I know. a car you can appreciate when you hit that gas and you hear the rumble of the V8. You feel it. Yeah, it's a car. It's a man's car. It's a man's car, and you know when I pull up to a red light, and I'm next to a woman. I'm married and whatever, but I need to be able to look her in the eye. And with the Prius, your eyes yep. go straight ahead. You just keep straight yeah, ahead. You're just useless. This girl limp. fucking popped a zit on the side of her face in front of you. in my direction in front of me while I was at a red light. Fuck, <laughs> you're off the menu. She's looking at you, Prius driving little Bald, bitch. Little yeah, fucking I put, Prius. I popped nothing. a zit in front of you. Till the blood comes out. <laughs> I'll keep squeezing until the blood squirts. Yeah, there's certain things you don't want to ever see a girl do if you're going to fuck her. Papa Zit is one of them. Take a shit's another. You don't, oh, Toilet no shit. Toilet paper shitting. on the butthole. I mean, yeah. You can watch them shit. I mean, not at this point in time, you know. Yeah. But 
you know, when you're a young man, I have a friend who uh, was in love with this chick, and he came over her house, and he lifted up the toilet bowl to take a leak, and there was a floater, and he couldn't fuck her. He was like, it was done. Really? It was over. Wow. It was like 20. When you're 40, you just flush it for her. Then you hope she wiped. When I'm 20, she could take a shit on my balls. <laughs> I mean, nothing would stop me. <laughs> shit on your balls. Oh, actually, that would be... Uh, now that now I'm going to find that site. Have you ever dated a girl that was into like weird shit, like she wanted you to piss on her or anything crazy? There was a girl that used to like me to choke her and slap her. Oh, I've had a lot of that. In my car, because she was a, a really? waitress at a club in Boston. I, I never would do the slapping thing, but I've choked the fuck out of some chicks. From behind or, or front? Oh, all kinds of ways. Yeah. I had one girl that wanted to wrestle before we fucked. Nice. We would always wrestle. She like, would push me. She would push me. I would come over her house, and she would be like, what? And i go, what? And she's like, I'm going to fucking wrestle? Are, are you serious? Like, what are you talking about? And she'd push me. She goes, you know I'm fucking talking. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? Like, what are you doing? And she'd, she'd go, what are you scared? Are you scared of getting beaten by a girl? And then we'd be in this, like, little wrist fight thing where she'd be, like, grabbing my wrist and shit, and then I'd have to just manhandle her. And that's what she wanted. <sighs> She wanted to just get dominated. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Fuck yeah. yeah. Got crazy. Yeah, she would almost... What it essentially was, was she wanted to get, she wanted to get raped by somebody that she wanted to fuck. Yeah. That's what she wanted to do. That yeah. was her thing. But it's, I'd go, this is very confusing. You know, I, and we would talk about it. She, and she would tell me, I want you to fucking rape me. Like, she, would, she was crazy. Wow. Yeah, and i go, listen... I don't, I don't want to rape you, okay? If, if you want me to fuck you as if I raped you, that we can do, okay? Yeah. But I want to know when you're fighting me off that you want me to do this. Like, this is confusing yeah. as fuck. Yeah. And I don't want to develop any taste for this. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah. That's just it because yeah. you've been socialized to not rape. She's unsocializing you. Yeah. And that's, that, doesn't, that may not be limited to her pool. And it, by the way, it took a while to get this out of her. When we first started dating, she was like super normal. Like it came, it it was it was it like it would took some time before yeah. we got to like what she really liked. Wow, it was really weird. It was like as she got a little bit more comfortable with me, she would like you know like want to arm wrestle me or something, and it was real weird. Yeah, it was over the course of like a couple of months. The next That's thing, pretty quick. Next thing, I was just fucking throwing her around, dude. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I would Damn. I would like hoist her up in the air and like toss her through the air and shit. The best she is you wanted, meet a guy later and you're like, oh, you stayed Jennifer. I I was dating Jennifer, and you just look at him like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you uh, just, just shake your head and walk away. It wasn't Jennifer. Just Oh, I didn't mean to say Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> she was a nice girl. No, she, she was, was very the great. Nice but but I had a girl, I did a when I was at the neighborhood playhouse, we had a scene from it was Farrah Fawcett did this movie, I forget what it was called, um, where she gets raped. Oh, the burning yes, bed. Exactly. Yes. So we're doing the rape scene from that. And I'm Whoa. like, we get assigned that and I'm like, fuck. And this girl Whoa. is like, not a great face, but giant rag, good body. And so we have to rehearse it. And so we go to, you get to go to the workspace and there's a combination lock and we go in and it's just us and we're practicing the rape scene where oh I God. literally knock her down, get on top of her, rip her blouse off. Oh, Jesus. And am uh, kind of dry humping her while she screams. So we start to rehearse it. In the reason why we have to go to the studio alone is we tried to do it in class and he was like, this is completely not believable. You guys are so aware and you're so inhibited. You need to let this scene out together. Come do it. So we go to the studio and, uh, and I get on top of her and I, I rip her shirt. She said, you know what? I brought an extra shirt. You can just, just rip it. And I rip Whoa. it. Giant rack. And I start and I'm, and I'm dry humping her. We're supposed to be doing the lines. And, and we just start like dry humping, dry humping. And I keep, and I was so embarrassed that I kept stopping 
I had raging hard on and I'm rubbing it against and I, we would redo the scene and she was totally into it and I was totally she into was totally it. into it sexually oh it was such a turn on it was fucking <laughs> crazy we were, we were both totally into it and she was dating a guy in the class so oh I wasn't gonna go God. over that line oh but I had God. to get in the head as an actor of being a rapist and I just couldn't do it I couldn't give over to really feeling what it would feel like because to, to really tap into what it would feel like to rape somebody and want to I guess it would require me shedding so many constraints do you know what I mean yeah like I don't know how you could really portray a rapist I felt like apologizing the whole time yeah. that I was doing it yeah that's a weird to put your mind into that place and then <clears throat> to, to trust it to not actually rape the girl yes that's yeah. what it was I didn't know when the brakes were going to go on yeah, if yeah. I let that. I was afraid uh, that if I let it out, I couldn't stop it. Because it's in every man. Every man has some chimpanzee inside of him. Chimps are just raping each other left and right. They love it. That's what they do. They love to rape. That's how you get some pussy. You got to take it. Well, and, and in, in America, I think we've gotten away from that. And, uh, <laughs> you know. One of the things you were talking about when we were playing pool that I totally agree with is that people aren't afraid of being punched in the face anymore. No. And that's a problem. That's a problem. You know, we've, we've lost is. biologically. And your act, I know, has been a you, you play a lot with the idea of the animal kingdom and how, as humans, we have to stop denying the connection, yeah, basically. Yeah, we're a species. And, and we developed as a species by getting punched in the face and being killed for doing this action. Yeah. And so the other people survived and they didn't do that action. And that's yeah. what shaped us. And it's also like when I see a guy on it, like there was a guy in his convertible the other day and he was talking on his Bluetooth phone. And I forget what he was saying, but just being a loud, self-involved douche who didn't look around and everyone could hear him. And I just thought, I want to punch this guy in the <laughs> face, you know, and I should and I should because I'm doing society a disservice by not punching him in the face. And if we if well, what people- is it about someone that's talking loud with a convertible in a Bluetooth that's so offensive? To me, we live in a society that is supposed to be aware of its other members and all working towards a certain set of beliefs like um, respecting each other's space yeah. and not being a, you know, you had a flashy car. Don't be so needy. Don't, and it wasn't like he wanted attention. It, what what I get insulted by is you're not giving me the credit of being a pedestrian who, who doesn't, doesn't want to hear, hear you. Yeah. You're, you're, in, you're not even looking at me. You're making me feel like I don't exist, mm-hmm. and you're making me feel like whatever you're talking about is more important than me. I know that sounds weird, but it's a, it's a subconscious thing where you feel like you're not validating even the fact that I'm a pedestrian right, right now. Right, right. It's not necessary, right? You know, if you, if you, you do have your fucking car and you, you answer a phone call, you're like, dude... Um, uh, I've got my top down right now. And I'm so stopped at a let light. Me, let me put the top on. I'll call you right back. Yeah. Right? I would never talk to somebody in a restaurant or a coffee shop. Uh, you know, there's just things I wouldn't do. You don't talk do. to someone on the phone, you mean? I go outside. Oh, okay. You do know, you really always? Hell yeah. Do you text when you're at, a, at dinner or Yeah, at but only when somebody like goes to the bathroom or whatever. You know, like I don't check texts that often because I feel like there's like, I feel like life has a rhythm that we've lost. And mm. if I'm constantly available, then I'm not, my rhythm is thrown off because it's something can happen in that text that changes my thought to, oh, I got to call that guy back or I got to do that. I suddenly become a servant of my messages coming in, but mm-hmm. I try to space it out every two or three hours. I don't think there's anything that important that I can't ignore. I'm very addicted to uh, technology, <clears throat> technological uh, communication, whether it's Twitter or texting. or It's very hard for me. If I'm, my phone's in my pocket and I hear beep, it vibrates. I know I got a text. Yeah. I almost have to read it. 
Are you? It's you're like, like a multitasker, though. That's not good. It's not good, especially when you're having a conversation with someone at a restaurant. Yeah. You really shouldn't be texting people at a restaurant. Yeah. I avoid it if and whenever possible. Yeah, but. I'm ashamed. Like I'll excuse yeah. myself and go to the bathroom and then check my emails. I would never do it at the table ever. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing, you know, because we we do have this weird disconnect when we're right in front of each other like this is the, the the ultimate is to be right in front of a person and communicate with them yeah but meanwhile you're sitting there exchanging text words with someone who's nowhere near you I know. while there's a person right in front of you and they feel less important yeah now. unless it's something like fucking super important and really what is yeah really what is i know what is while you're having a, a conversation you get what three is? calls a year that yeah. really are like you know you got a call back for this thing that's filming yeah. tomorrow yeah. Or your wife is taking the kid to the hospital. And I love the fact about the iPhone. If I look at my phone, I get the message right there. I yep. don't even have to read. So I know, help, call me right now. Yeah. Oh, okay, there's something going on. Yeah. But what's up, bitch? Oh, I know that one's not important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, look, we used to come home and uh, there was no answering machine even. You know, yeah. I mean, people lived. We got by. And I think that like. How hard was it to find people then? Fuck, it was hard. You had to stick to a plan. Oh, we got we to gotta end this because if it goes over three hours, iTunes shits on itself and doesn't know how to handle You're a not, file. We didn't seriously go that yeah. long. <clears throat> yeah, we yeah. did, dude. We got to do this more often. That was flat flu. How do people get your podcast? I know it's available on uh, Sirius, uh, on Howard 101. Well, that's the radio show. Oh, the radio show. Yeah, the podcast. The radio show is different than the podcast. Yeah, uh, the podcast is Fitz Dog Radio. There's an app called Fitz Dog, and then uh, iTunes, and my site is FitzDog.com. And my book, I've got an audio book, the one I told you I wrote. There's an audio book version available on Audible.com and iTunes. Do you write it? Did you read it? Uh, I read it, and then I had a bunch of other people read it. Like, it's all letters that my mother saved right. my whole life when I was in trouble. So I've got, like, um, Zach Galifianakis and uh, oh, that's, Adam that's Carolla. Awesome. I got all these famous people reading the letters as if they're the teachers. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's cool. It's Dear Miss Fitzsimmons, right? Dear Miss Fitzsimmons, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Good idea. All right, man. Um, and so people know how to get you on Twitter. It's uh, Fitz, Greg Fitz Show on Twitter. That's right? it. At Greg Fitz Show. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Hey, on. man. My awesome. pleasure. My it's pleasure. It's a lot of fun. We got to do this more often. Um, all right, Joe Rogan Experience Podcast is brought to you by The Fleshlight. We want to thank The Fleshlight for being the first sponsor of this proud podcast. We're not even proud. What are we? I don't even know what the <laughs> fuck we are. We're just existing. We, look, we love you. We just have to do this. Uh, thanks to The Fleshlight, and uh, go to JoeRogan.net, click on the link, enter in the code name Rogan, and you get 15% off. Thank you to Onnit.com, creators of Alpha Brain. If you're interested in any of this stuff, just go to Onnit, O-N-N-I-T. There's ample information um, any criticisms we've had about that information in the past, it's all been reworked and it's uh, done in the proper manner as far as uh, scientific studies. They're in the middle of doing uh, double-blind placebo studies at an accredited university right now. So this is a, a real supplement. I love it. Uh, I, I take it every day. It's uh, a nootropic. If you don't know what nootropics are, I suggest you Google it. Nootropics, N-O-O-T-R-O-P-I-C-S. And what it is, essentially, it's nutrients for cognitive function. It increases your brain's productions of neurotransmitters, and it, it helps you function better. It helps your brain work smoother. Um, it's not going to make you smart if you're stupid, but it's, it's interesting <laughs> stuff. Google it. Check it out. Go to onnit.com. Check out all the different stuff that we have available and uh, enter in the code name Rogan, and you will get 10% off anything you buy from now until eternity. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate the fuck out of you, as always. Please come to see us at the Brea Improv this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It'll be me, Duncan Trussell, Ari Shafir, and Brian Redband's going to drop in and fucking show his shit, too. Nice. Right, fella? Yeah, you gonna get your freak on? Saturday, I think. I'm Saturday, he's going to get his freak All on. All right. So uh, good times are coming. It looks like Atlanta, 420, April 20th. 
at the Tabernacle. It looks like that's where I'm going to be doing my special. Uh, we already sold out the first show, and we're going to add a second show eventually, uh, shortly, soon. And that's it. For more information, go to JoeRogan.net. This fucking podcast is over. I don't have the ending song right now. Oh. Well, there's no ending song. <laughs> so sing that's it. it. Sing it, Joe. Anything to say, Greg? I love this. I love this fucking podcast. It's fun. That was fun. I cannot, <clears throat> cannot believe it was three hours. Seven twenty five.